This episode of the AFTN Soccer Show is brought to you by Recovery Family Law. Recovery Family Law is here to help you solve your family law problems. If you are going through a separation or divorce, they can provide you the confidence to make good decisions and support to enforce your rights. If you have a question about property, children or support, they have the answers. It's not too late or too early to get help. Email info at recoveryfamilylaw.ca or visit recoveryfamilylaw.ca and let their team get you excellent results. Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. <laughs> There's still time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And it is our sex centenary! Is that how you say it? That is actually what yeah. it is. I looked up what is a 600th anniversary and it said a sexcentenary, which initially I thought that was something that Wayne Rooney partook in, but oh. turns out it's not. Oh. Oh and it is something for the 600th anniversary <laughs> because it's the 600th oh. episode of the podcast. And what a way to start it. Oh, it couldn't be more, Michael. Ah, this is why folk have tuned in for the previous 599 episodes. Yes, it's a special landmark episode. I mean, it's only a number, I know. But, I mean, can we go to a thousand? Let's let's hope. Well, it's taken us 11 years to get to 600. Yeah, but we're not a daily show. No, maybe maybe we should become one. Uh... Two-hour daily shows? I can be John Stewart. You can be Stephen Colbert. <laughs> you'll take could, over I, once I decide to retire. My beard's I mean, getting white like John Stewart's. And then you'll come back. Yeah, because uh, you have killed it. <laughs> no, I, no. Um, I could, I could play a not Stephen Colbert character, but I could play a character if we needed. But yes, we are back for another patch show of Whitecaps, MLS, Vancouver FC, CPL and Canadian Soccer Chat. We've got a couple of feature interviews for you in this episode. Yeah. A fantastic 40-minute sit-down chat with Vanny Sartini about the state of the Whitecaps as Vanny also 
celebrates a milestone, his 100th game in charge of the club. And we speak to Gabriel Bittar, the Vancouver FC player, just back from the Asian Cup with Lebanon as well. And a lot of more football chat. We'll be talking a little bit about the Asian Cup in the intro here. Before we get to all that, how has your week been, Zachary? Yeah, I haven't recovered. I haven't recovered yet. You it's look tired. Very, it's been a very, very, very full week. I, yeah, I was speaking this morning, which um, takes uh, a lot of time and energy. Uh, and just the way that plays out in my life is probably not helpful for time and energy. Um, and then I, I foolishly made my week even more busy. It made it less stressful in some ways, but more busy in other ways. And so, and then we had, oh, Michael, we had, we had our, our brakes go on our van and like uh, a guy from the community, just him and his dad just come, like said, yeah, leave your car at, at, the, at the office. And they just came and like did my brakes at the office. Like it was pretty amazing. Uh, but then also kind of sad was, uh, I, I know I told you, so I don't know if talked about this on the show, but I have a, a cousin who who plays for, for basketball for Trinity Western and um, his, uh, he's Canadian, but his family has been uh, living and uh, working in Switzerland in Basel for years and actually in Azerbaijan before that. And they, uh, the mom, who's my like second cousin or cousin once removed or whatever the proper term is. She was going to fly out to surprise him for his last game. Like, she's coming to his grad later this year or whatever. Ah. But, um, yeah. So then my mom was talking to her. My mom's like, oh, I'm going to come with you for the week. So my mom was going to come, and it was like this big thing. And I was like, mom, I'm busy until Sunday night. And then I got a podcast on Sunday night. So I was like, mom, I'm barely going to see you Sunday night. And then I'm like, I'll, I'll take Monday off, and I'll, I'll spend all Monday with you if you want. But... My time is going to be very limited. She's like, yeah, I'm coming. She all this plans to hang out with the kids and whatever. And then her plane got delayed. Oh, no. And and delayed. And then literally, like, I went I went to it early because we were supposed to go at, like, 2.40 in the morning. Then it became, like, 4.50 in the morning. Then it became 5.10 in the morning, our time, to pick, up, to pick them up. And then finally, so I went to bed early. So Cheryl woke me up at, like, midnight our time or later than midnight our time. And she's like... Your your mom has texted. They've canceled their, their flight. Oh. So I feel my my mom was really sad, and it was an ordeal for my mom. But I feel so bad for my um my cousin because of this game. Uh, she has a another daughter who went to SFU, who's out here, I think, right now, and it's like her birthday this weekend, and so it was a bit a bit traumatic for all them. But um, why, why was it cancelled? Just weather or? I have no idea. I can't. Oh. Uh, I don't know what the. I don't know if it was weather. I don't know what it was. It was flare. So, whenever whenever I've flown with flare or swoop, I don't think I. I don't think there's been a flight that I've had with flare or swoop that didn't get the time didn't get changed oh. in one way, shape, or form. Well, so, I, I I fly back to to Scotland three weeks tonight, so I'm hoping there's no delays there. Yeah, yeah, but you're not flying. I'm... People don't know, but you're one. You're not flying on flare, and two. Uh, you 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 only fly with the extra leg room. Yes, extra I, I, well, I have to for my sciatica. It's <laughs> right. what I tell Caitlin. <laughs> She's at the back in economy, and I'm. But I, I I'm actually going back to see a new man in charge at East Fife. Oh, what? Yes, the manager was fired. 
Wait, did he appear on your podcast right before you got fired? Yeah. Oh, man. He, he, he asked to come on our podcast because yeah. he wanted to, to basically pitch what he was doing with the club and how the fans should keep the faith with him. Two weeks later, <laughs> he resigned. So he wasn't even fired. He He stood down after a horrible defeat and throwing the players under the bus in the post-game interview, which as soon as we heard that, we were like, yeah, he's gone. So he didn't get any, like, if he resigns and he doesn't get, like, any significant severance or, like, no, payout? No, because he's quit, so... Oh, wow. So he, he doesn't get it. That's, but, good for your, that's good for your side. Well, it's good for finances, but also he is a club legend as a player, so right. he loves the club, so he felt it was the best for the club. Now, so when does Lee take over? Well, we've already got our new manager who was appointed not, the very next day. It's not Lee? It's not... Is it uh, Bobby Robson? No. Let Barry me just Robson, say, sorry. the hashtag... Dick in has oh. been trending in methyl because Dick, Dick Campbell, Advocate? no, oh. <laughs> Dick Campbell, <laughs> lower league footballing legend, 70 years old. Oh, now people are gonna laugh when I say this for years, and I, I'm talking years, maybe over 10 years. He has said, East Fife is the club I want to manage before I stop managing in football. Wow. Because of our rich history, he is a fifer, and now he is the manager. And he is a guy that does not suffer fools gladly. He doesn't put up with any shit. He's already basically said in his first post-game interview that lasted two minutes that the the players aren't good enough and he's going to have to get new ones in. For a moment there when you said he's a fifer, I thought... Oh, he's related to Paul from the Wonder Years. <laughs> oh. Oh, Michelle. Did you ever watch that show? Did you ever watch that show? No, I've seen oh. the odd episode, but yeah. So Dick in was was trending. And h- how about this for some weirdness? So, as you know, I was over on the island when Mark DeSantis was no longer the White Cats manager. I was over on the island when it was announced that Greg McDonald was no longer the the East Fife manager, there's some kind of weird managerial presence going on on Vancouver Island. Don't that, don't tell that to James. Mm. But yeah, so that, that's been the exciting weekend in Fife land, but also the two international tournaments that's been going on this week wound up. I don't know if you've had a chance to watch either of the finals. Uh, I know what happened in the one, uh, the repeat in Asia. I do not know what happened in Africa. Oh, I'm going to spoil it for you now. No, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, the Asian Cup, let's talk about that first. So I woke up in time to see the second half live uh, on Saturday morning. And first of all, surprise finalists, Jordan, Mm. was delighted for them because it's nice to see a a short country getting in. Uh, But they lost to Qatar. They went back to back. Qatar taking the lead. Jordan had tied it up before Qatar got a couple of late goals to win it. But the the little bits that I saw in the later stages, it was a a good tournament. Lots of excitement and some late goals and shock results and extra time wins. But yeah, Jordan, that run to the final, I I think, was fantastic to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, Brendan Dunlop's been over there doing their English stadium announcing, eh? Like I did he, like not he, know that. No. Yeah, like he did at the World Cup. For, he, the, the World Cup he was just doing Canada for this. I think he's been doing maybe not every game, but a lot of the games. Oh wow! Oh, good for Brendan. Yeah. They, they 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 appreciated him, I guess, when he was over mm. there. Two years well, the, ago. the African Nations Cup 
it, mm-hmm. it wound up this morning. Mm-hmm. So I watched that game live on BBC this morning and oh, oh, absolutely fantastic. So we spoke a couple of weeks ago about Ivory Coast. Oh, yeah. They lost their last group game 4-0. They were third in their group. It was basically a mathematical impossibility that they were going to get one of the best third-place finishes. They sacked their head coach. Mathematical weirdness played out, so they scraped through as the fourth-best third-place team, went on a run of the ages to get to the final in the tournament that they're hosting, and they came back from one goal down with two second-half goals to win their third African Cup of Nations. Wow. Tremendous game, tremendous performance. And you can imagine the jubilant scenes in the stadium. I think I have it PVR'd on, what's it called there, Fubo TV, so mm-hmm. I'll have to go and check it out. It was a really good game. I've really enjoyed the tournament. And it's like, in Asia, not as much, but a little bit, but definitely in Africa, kind of changing the guard. All eight quarter-finalists in the African Cup of Nations this time around were different from the eight quarter-finalists the last one. Yeah. That's Which, that's a that's a changing regard, right? Yeah, but yeah, it was a great tournament all round, and oh, it's just it's giving me a taste for what Copa America might bring this summer over here. Fingers crossed, Canada will be in there. But usually, after we do our intro, we do hot chocolate boy. But with being over in the island this week, I haven't actually got out to anything, so we're not going to do a hot chocolate boy this week. Also. I think I need to scale back, take a little bit of a break, or I was in danger of developing type 3 diabetes, I think. Yeah. I think I was going to create a... Did you use that joke last week? No. <laughs> it's a good... Someone I heard... I swear, I thought it was you. I heard someone tell that joke this week. Oh, <laughs> wasn't me. Uh, it was me thinking I was I mean, being original. I, I shouldn't laugh because diabetes is a horrible thing and it runs in my family, but... Yeah, I know. Um, my dad had it as well. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, we're going to try and do another one before it wraps up on Valentine's Day. Uh, so we'll, we'll get out. I'll, I'll treat my beloved to to a, a puppuccino and I'll take Caitlin for a hot chocolate. But yeah, no, we'll be back with Hot Chocolate Boy next episode. But we're going to talk white caps for the rest of this part because the first competitive game is in the books for the white caps. White caps, Tigris. Very good performance over on the island. It gives a lot of hope, I think, of what is to come for the Whitecaps this 2024 season. A one all draw against the, the Mexican Giants. We'll get into some of the ins and outs of the game, Zach, but just some quick overall thoughts just on the game and that performance and the result. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's huge. Uh, I know, obviously, there's... Um away goals rule are involved in this so they yeah they are they are trailing one um, of the few tournaments that seems to still have the away goals rule which yeah. I, I like i've got to say yeah i think i think i still like it no i, I agree with you i think it was a good performance i think you know it, it feels like a missed opportunity for them i think and this is probably again being a bit nitpicky i mean it was a good performance but i think rylax's goal is the only shot on goal from what i remember from the stats because they obviously created some chances that, you know, a goal called back, which we'll get to. You Again, people, I'm sure, will want to critique the goalkeeper, Takeoka. Yeah, uh, I don't know why. I like I saw some well, of that. It's like that. That well, there Very few he, keepers would have stopped that free kick. Yeah, but the, the criticism comes from leaning the one way right first. And 
that that meant that he, he he had no chance if he if he's reading it or waiting or or guesses right or whatever then maybe maybe he gets a hand to it and, and it does something but i mean he'd given up so much room on the other side as well that i was sure geniac was going for that top left hand corner yeah i mean we'll, we'll get obviously to, to that goal in a sec i i I thought it was a it was a good performance. It exceeded all my expectations going into it. I genuinely thought Tigris would come out all guns blazing and get an early goal because I th I thought they would be like, let's go out, get that away goal in the first ten fifteen minutes, and then it almost puts the tie to to bed in in, in some regards as well. But they were frustrated by the Whitecaps. They the Whitecaps had really good defensive shape. They. The, their lines were excellent. The quick transition play really seemed to, to catch Tigris off. Tigris, I don't think, liked the narrow pitch. It was a little cold as well. I'm not sure how much that actually affected them, but it's like, I, I thought overall it was a, a good performance with the Whitecaps. They, they kind of kept Tigris to long-range efforts. And, I mean, yeah, right, it was just one shot on, on target for for the Whitecaps, Takaoka had a couple of saves to make, a couple of really good acrobatic stops he had, a couple of long-range efforts that he didn't have to deal too much with. But there was a spell from the 27th minute that the Whitecaps kind of took over the game. It started with gold, dipping, shot, and then it, they just kept pushing, they kept pressing, and they got the reward for that with Krylak's goal in the 32nd minute. And there was a... What, what I described in my report as a pinpoint cross from Gold on the White's head to knock it into Krylak to sweep it home. And I thought that's just how it was drawn up on the training pitch until after the game, which we'll hear uh, from Ryan Gold in a, in a little bit. Ryan was like, yeah, I under hit that pass. I was trying to play Brian in over the top. <laughs> oh my. Uh, no, I thought the goal was incredibly well taken and uh, you know, it was there's a the, an element of the quick counter attack which worked worked well. I, I also saw a number of people talk about critiquing the performance that were, you know, unimpressed. I think other than obviously the goal with with Krylak and his yeah, I, I don't know what they're and, expecting in game one of right. the season against a Mexican team five games into their season. Yeah, that are I do I, I do wonder. I know I also heard some people maybe concerned that, you know, Krylak is uh, looking like he might be, you know, Vanny's, you know, someone he's choosing a lot, right? And Oh, I, I hope is he that, is. Is that what, <laughs> but is, does he have it in him, right? Well, Krylak's got no doubt that he does. He feels he's back to his best. I, I thought the link-up play that we saw between the front three, I genuinely felt it boded well for what could come in store for the season. They've got the sharpness already. They've only had a couple of weeks together because Brian was obviously away at the, the US camp. Anyone that's been critical of that, just shake my head at it, to be, to be totally honest. I, I thought Krylak had a good game. I thought he was busy. I thought he added something, a different kind of dimension to the Whitecaps attack because he's got the height. Um, I totally think he's got a, a full season in him and he's got the gas to go and we will see the Krylak from a few years ago. Maybe that's wishful thinking, and it's a small sample size so far, but to get that goal in his debut also takes a little bit of the, the pressure off his shoulders as well. But I, 
the biggest take I had from that is that it shows what these front three could be. Again, I, I, so I was working. So I only got to watch, was it the last half hour or the second half? I can't remember which. Uh, live. Um, I saw some people, again, some people maybe, and, and I saw this a little bit saying that, obviously it's early days, so maybe this will change, but that this is maybe doesn't get the best out of a gold or gold and white together. Um because of kind of where they want to play and always drifting and and whatever and so uh, i'd i'd I love to know where you're seeing all this stuff is this the <laughs> facebook page cuz it's like uh, you need I, to get a more positive social you know, media a, a multiple feed. multiple uh, you know i look at what the the white caps fans are saying in multiple uh uh probably at least three places that's interesting um, maybe like four. genuinely it interests me cuz like the feedback i had cuz i put out today cuz we yeah, speak to Barry. Like, how are Whitecaps fans feeling just now? And there was a couple of folks saying, oh, I don't feel they've strengthened enough. They'll be maybe struggling to be better than sixth or to make the playoffs. But the overall feedback, I would say 85 to 90% was positive. They they like the additions. They feel they, they can push for top four and it's a stronger team. And, and again, I think on the whole, I think it's a very respectable performance. I think they'll be... Maybe not extremely, but they'll be happy with the result, right? Um, I, I and again, like I said earlier, maybe I'm just nitpicking a little bit, or you know, these are these are things that people are nitpicking. But um, I, I, I ultimately, I think it's early days, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see what comes from you know that that group of players, and if you know if they even are the, the primary three on the, you know a more ongoing basis, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they. That that is going to be the front three of choice with Fafa coming in for the odd game to give Demir a rest or yeah. depending on the opposition. It's something we're going to talk about with Vanny in the next part, actually, how he plans to fit all, all those in. But then the lead at the half, then the, the controversial moment, I, I guess, in the game, Brian White's offside goal in the 53rd minute. Now, in the stadium, we didn't get replays, so we did not... St- have a, an idea as to to why it had been called off initially but the longer it went on you kind of felt well they're taking a really long look at this it's going to get called off but i think it's because of just of how much and how far back they went to look at now you you've no no qualms with it at all you feel it was definitely offside and you feel it was offside twice uh yeah i think the second time was maybe a little bit close but the first time is 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 very offside and to me i know you're you're gonna want to talk about phases of play or whatever but yes um i i think that var from my understanding which may be incorrect and i totally admit that is that you know they can if there's any error from like like i thought it was a stoppage up until a goal that they can they can correct things but well let's get into that so we Spoke to our resident refereeing expert, Darnell Smith, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Also our sponsor for the show. Check out his website as we have the sponsor at the start. So here's Darnell's take on the whole decision. He said, The VAR goal that was called back is an interesting case study in the usage of VAR. The question of how far back in time VAR can go and what constitutes a new phase in play 
are live questions on whether Shop being offside when he received the ball should or shouldn't be a basis for overturning the goal. The VAR Protocol Section 2 states, The categories of decision incident, which may be reviewed in the event of a potential clear and obvious error or serious missed incident are, for a goal, that the attacking team in the offence in the build-up to or the scoring of the goal for a handball, a foul, offside, etc. The question, therefore, is, was Schopf's action in the build-up to scoring a goal the, the reason why? The VAR protocol provides some guidance at Section 4 under the heading reviews, stating, For decisions, incidents, relating to goals a penalty or a red card or a dog so, it may be necessary to review the attacking phase of play which led directly to the decision or the incident. This may include how the attacking team gained possession of the ball in open play. And that is basically what it falls down to in that. Danell says, the question then becomes, did the side-footed clearance by Tigris's number 23 amount to a change in possession and prohibit VAR from looking at the earlier offside. He says it is at least debatable, but the analysis assumes that the problematic incident was shot when he received the ball, and not when the defender immediately in front of him blocked the shot. So it's kind of open to a little bit of interpretation, but they felt it was so, very valid to so take it back the, to that first pass. So you, that's your saying for the first one. You think the second one he was onside? I, I think he kind of was, yeah. And it did ricochet, like before it was put in the net, it had hit off three Tigris players on the way from the initial pass to the goal. But I think Schopf was offside when he got the ball. And it is then phase of play. A lot of it comes down to, of course, because the linesmen aren't allowed to put, well, they're not, they can if they want, (laughs) but they're told to keep their flag down, which if the linesmen had put it up right away, it would have been the end of the discussion. Which is, of course, one of the other frustrating aspects of this. But I think it was the the right decision. And like even afterwards, I don't think Vanny had too too many complaints about it. it it's a frustrating decision, obviously, because two 0 up, you're looking at a whole different dynamic to this game. And if they hold yeah. on to that and they go to Mexico with a two goal lead, if they nick an away goal, or even if they don't, the pressure is on Tigris to really come out down there. But now, of course, we know they're going in tied at one apiece. Tigers have the away goal. And I thought this was a stunning free kick. I can't fault Takaoka at all. The photo that we've got on the AFTN report for it from the CONCACAF website just shows the accuracy of it. I would go as far as to say it's one of the best free kicks I've seen live in person. Yeah, but you went to a World Cup match with two free kick goals, right? Yeah. Eric Ronaldo and Bregi? I, I was also at a VMSL game with a fantastic free kick oh, goal this weekend. I saw, I, you, tweeted I saw you share that, yeah. That was a hell of a strike. But, I mean, the thing with Gignac, he got man of the match, which was farcical, because he had one shot in the first half that brought a save out of Takaoka, a good save, and then he had that free kick, but he did very little else. But the thing is, that's the magic of Gignac. Another player, he'd have probably been hauled off. But the coach is like, I know what Gignac can do, especially against the Whitecaps. He's got this moment of magic in him that can change the game. And that's exactly what he did. I said, I said to Kirk, I said, I said, uh, Gignac is very quiet here. 
he is a Whitecaps killer. Uh, I'm a little surprised we haven't, and even the little we had been watching it, we hadn't seen anything. And then yeah, he st he stepped up and he's like, "Well, he proved you right, Dad." Well, I mean, we signed was, Cap was, Killers, was, so obviously yeah. he is now going to be a Whitecap at some point down the line. And he's the right he's the right age for the Whitecaps. Yeah. Fine, this oh, year. Imagine him here. How good would that be? Break the bank. Third DP spots open. He, uh, yeah, it was that, it was a crazy goal. I feel I feel bad for obviously the the uh, you know some of my friends were traveling and they were there right behind that goal where the goal went in and oh yeah um kind of ruined their night in that sense but um it I was it was an absolutely it, tremendous atmosphere like full yes. credit to both sets of fans the Tigers yeah. fans were excellent they sang non-stop yeah. like, even when that second goal had gone in and everyone thought it was 2-0 they kept the singing going. They brought an atmosphere. It was a respectful atmosphere as well. There was no incidents of stoppage of plays. We got their warning at, at the start of the game. The Whitecats fans were great. The Islanders that turned out, just over 5,700 there. It felt so much more. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a great little stadium, oh, especially when it's yeah, full. It was a tremendous it, atmosphere. It, and, it looked, and it looked good on the broadcast. Which always helps sell it as well. Overall, I thought it was a, a really good team performance by the Whitecaps. That there was some highs. I thought Gold was excellent, and we'll hear from him shortly. He had a bug going into this game. He hadn't trained, and he still was not at a hundred percent. So that was Ryan Gold not at a hundred percent. The way that he was moving around and playing the balls in, and it was why he went off. He obviously was a, a bit tired from having the bug. I thought the front three, as I said, played well. Matthias Laborda, I thought, was a revelation in that back three, and that was the Matty Laborda that I think I and many had hoped for from watching the highlights package of him when the Whitecaps signed him. So that bodes well for this year. And yeah, you weren't alone in that. I saw people online talking about how it was, it was by far his best, best game. And I, I think as well, he's got a year under his belt now. He's feeling a bit more confident. Vanny's going with his back three. He looks good in that back three. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Laborda brings this year. And the other player I've got to highlight, with Kubis being out, Pedro Viti coming in as the six. When we saw the lineup, we looked at it, and it's like we thought, oh, maybe Schopfer is going to play as that six with Viti in the attacking role. And I said, I don't know, because I, I can see Shop being just pushing up further and trying Viti there, maybe going as a box-to-box. -box. And I thought Viti as a six was a bit of a revelation as well. And we speak to Vanny about that in the next part. I spoke to him after the game about it, and he says he fully believes Pedro Viti can play any of those midfield positions. He sees him more as a midfielder than being in the attack, and he feels he's got better and better and better in his time here. And that this really could be a huge breakthrough season for him. There was a couple of lows, I thought. I, I thought Alessandro Schopf had a, a pretty poor game. He even Tim Forded Ryan Raposo at one point, which was oh, really? ironic because it was Schopf that was involved with the Tim Ford incident. Yeah, they were both going for a ball. Ryan was lined up to hit it and Schopf just blocked him. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course, Schopf was offside twice on the goal. Um, Ryan Raposo, what did you think of his performance? Again, I saw some people go, going I, on. I, I, I like Ryan. You, I, did you comment about it online? I uh, I think I might have actually, yeah. yeah. I, I like Ryan. I like Ryan on the left side. 
I don't like Ryan on the right side and I did not like him in this game because in the first half it was right in front of us basically yeah. in the in the press box where he was you playing he kept getting drawn into the middle and he was giving up so much room on that left wing for Tigris now thankfully Tigris didn't get the ball out there very much and when they did they didn't do anything with it but that was a recipe for disaster I don't know what was going on he just kept getting drawn in. It was as if he didn't really know what man to pick up. And he was just drifting into the centre. And you had defenders back there looking because they had two men to try and deal with. And the Whitecaps were really fortunate that they didn't get punished. They cannot afford to do that. And I think it shows that glaring... The glaring omission that we've got in the team of we need to get a right wing back in. We need to... We need to kind of find somebody that's going to be Richie Larea because it doesn't look like we're getting Larea back. Because I don't know if you, you saw the news this week, Zach, that Larea has been named to Nottingham Forest's 25-man squad for the rest of the, the English season. Whether yeah. he plays, I don't know. I mean, it's great for Richie. It's not great if he doesn't play. But he's not coming back, so they need to kind of address that. Totally. I, I think... The worst thing possible for Richie Larea is to not be playing football in the in the lead up to the the Trinidad Tobago game. Ideally, the um, the Copa uh, and yeah, so it'll be it'll be interesting how interesting to see how that all develops for him. But overall, a good performance. So I got a chance to chat with Brian White, Ryan Gold, and Amir Krylak after the game. So we're going to bring you that audio just now. Brian, I mean, it's a heartbreaking way to, to give up a goal so late in the game, but that performance, like to a man, it didn't feel for bulks of that game that that was your first competitive game of the season. I think we, uh, yeah, I think we, we executed the game plan well. I think we stuck to the principles and had a good performance. Obviously, we would have liked to come out with a couple more goals, but I think uh, confident going into going to Mexico next week that we could come away with a result. You've played here before. We spoke about it in the in the pre-game presser as well. I mean, what? How did you find it out there? It was a chilly night, but the atmosphere, the fans being so close to the pitch, it felt just a proper cup tie atmosphere. Yeah, it was. It was a really fun experience. Obviously, it's nice to be outside again. Obviously, when we play at BC Place, it's not always outside, and I personally prefer the cold weather. So that plus having the fans, especially the island fans that we don't get to see a lot, right on top of the field, their support throughout the game, I think was, was awesome. It was a really fun experience. Brian, considering you guys are missing a few key starters, it's your first game of the season, you're playing a team of that quality in mid-season form. What does this kind of say about the direction the team's heading in this year, the tone you guys are trying to set? I think it's a good way to start our season. Like you said, Tigres are a very good team who have had a few games in their season so far and to come away with you know, a tie so far in this two-leg series, um, I think it's something we could be happy about, confident about going into the second leg and the rest of the season. I really saw a new dimension of you guys' game defensively, especially in the pressure you're applying high up the field. Mm-hmm. How important was that part of your game? Right? <laughs> yeah, we've, it's something we've worked a, a lot on this offseason. Preseason, um, sorry. That uh, knowing our roles in, in each position, being able to, if three guys switch around, knowing where to go, how to execute that certain spot, and uh, working as a cohesive unit to make sure that they don't uh, bypass our lines and have an easy opportunity to roll. Were you, do you think that's... Then, 
Okay. Do you think that uh, you guys took Tigres by surprise with the way that you played today, given where you guys are in preseason, where they are in midseason? Do you think that gives you a great platform to be confident uh, ahead of their ga the game in Monterrey? I think we can be confident going in. Obviously, I think we had a pretty good performance. We had a couple of chances that we, if we executed and, and followed through on, we could be up a couple of goals going into the second leg. But I think knowing that we can create chances, that we can stifle their chances, um, you know, it's going to be a tough test. We know that, but if we stick to our game plan, stick to our principles. I think we could be successful down in Mexico. Thanks, Brian. Yes. So. What did you make of that one? It was a, a performance where you more than went toe-to-toe -to -toe for a big bulk of the game. You looked pretty comfortable for a, a lot of that game as well, and then a moment of magic kind of just gets them back into it. Yeah, I think, you know, considering where we are at our point in, uh, I don't know how many weeks we're in, maybe four and a half, five weeks in the pre since the start of pre-season, so I think considering that, we, we gave them a pretty good game. Um, Obviously, we knew from last year how, how good a team they were. So um, to be able to kind of take the game to them a wee bit in the first half, and then I think you could see later on we we got a bit leggy and a little bit more tired. They had a lot more of the ball. So um, yeah, I think it was a, a good performance. Um, and then, like you said, that great that unbelievable strike for, for the big boy. And, uh, the same as the, the League's Cup, he's produced a, an unreal goal, so um, it's still all to play for. It'll be exciting uh, going down there and into a good atmosphere and uh, facing them again. Obviously the MLS season, it's still three, four weeks away, I think. Four, us, probably four weeks away. Yeah, for us it's still three and a bit. Yeah, yeah which is crazy to think of. But it gives you time to get chemistry and obviously there's some new attackers coming in as well but we saw flashes tonight with you and Brian and then with Demir as well does it feel it's starting to come together? Yeah um, like I said I mean it's early days um, and there is a lot of the same boys who were uh, here last year so we've got that kind of relationship on the pitch um, and then adding in you know especially today we've seen Dami and, and Fafa and you know what they can give us and uh, they've settled into the group really well uh, two, two guys that are catching on to the way the way we play and um, you know they're, they're easy to play with uh, they understand the game really well they, they both give us different things obviously Damio is a, a big threat um, in the box and in his link up play and then Fafa with his speed you see he helped create a couple of chances at the end when he came on so um, yeah we're still you know building that connection on the pitch but I, th I think it's been a good start and uh, in three weeks when the season starts we'll, we'll be even further ahead than we are now. Um, what does a performance like this where you guys go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the team in the form they are and of the level they are kind of set the tone for, for, for what's to come for you guys this season? Yeah, um, obviously we, like I said we know they're such a, they're such a good team and um, I think we can take we can take a lot from from that tonight. Um, you know, I, a lot of people might have expected them to kind of steamroll us with um, them doing so well in the in the league, and they had a they had a good back in here, and, and so did we. We had a good uh, number of fans, uh, you know, came over or, or from the island, so um, it was a good a good experience and. 
a performance that we can take a lot from. Ryan, tactically, you guys are pressing a lot higher in this game and winning a lot of dangerous, you know, 3v2s, 4v2s. For a creator like you, how exciting is it to see that you guys are going to be getting more opportunities like that to create yeah, goals? Yeah, it's good. Um, we've, we've worked on that since since day one in, in Spain. Um, the way we the way we want to press and I think we're a, we're a very dangerous team when, when we do win the ball back so you know if we can do that higher up then the better for us and um, yeah once the once the fitness comes along and we're able to press with higher intensity and then um, you know we'll be we'll be more threatening once once we get the ball back so um, I think yeah for the majority of the game we look good um, Without the ball, we looked we looked solid. We I don't remember them having any huge chances, um, and then it's obviously the, the great free kicks got them into it. So um, yeah, the, I think we're happy with the way the way we set up without the ball and um, an extra an extra week before playing them again, and then uh, another couple of weeks before the season starts. We'll, we'll be in a good position. Ryan, uh, you put in a huge shift there for a lot of the match. You're going toe-to-toe -to -toe in physicality with a lot of the players. We saw you come off a little early. Was that just precautionary, or did you feel a little niggle, or what was the cause uh, of it? No, I was just uh, cramping up uh, towards the end there. I, I was unwell for a few days coming into the game, so um, just a little bit of fatigue. But um, I think for the majority, you know, considering that how tough a game it was the the boys put in a great shift and um quite i think yeah it must have been six or seven boys played 90 minutes so it was uh really good to get to get that in the legs against against a top team but yeah i'm i'm good i'm just uh at the final of my recovery from a wee bug <laughs> <laughs> and you know looking ahead to the game against monterrey you gave both sets of fans a good reason why you guys are still in this tie and could still nick it. How confident are you are are you now going into the match after this performance? Yeah, we have to we have to take a lot of confidence. Um, I think we had the the bigger chances in the game. Uh, I've not seen the video of of the offside, but I believe it was really close for Shopfy uh, being off. So, you know, if, if that went. 2-0 it could have been a totally different tie uh, that game might have opened up even more and we might have had more chances but I think even at 1-0 we, we still managed to create a couple, I remember Fafa putting Pedro down the side and then he almost uh, found Brian in the box so it's positive that we're creating that many openings um, against such a good team so we'll have to we'll have to take the same belief going down there and um, yeah, believe that we can go and get an away goal as well can you talk us through the goals tonight? Uh, yeah, I mean, to be honest, our our goal, I've actually tried to put Brian over the top, and I just kind of underhit it, and <laughs> I was kind of, I, I was, uh, I was cursing myself, you know, when I seen what came off. But he's done well to, you know, flick it onto the mirror, and um, I mean, everyone's seen the last few years in the league um, that he can he can finish any chances he gets. So he, he's put that one away, and then. Yeah, the the free kick's just a bit of, a bit of genius from from the big fella, and not too much to say about that one. Thank you so much. Thanks. I described your cross as a pinpoint accurate cross. I'll yeah, change here, that. Here, here, here. <laughs> <laughs> Orchestrated perfectly. That was oh, from, the, from the playground. It wasn't planned, but we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Ryan. Demir, fantastic start to your your Whitecaps career. First game, first goal. 
maybe not quite the result you wanted, but still a fantastic result considering where you are in each other's seasons. Just talk about your experience tonight. Exactly, uh, you know, uh, not the result we wanted, and basically even uh, more tougher when you concede the goal in, you know, whatever it was, 88 minutes, uh, you know, but uh, I would say overall it was great team performance, especially knowing against who we play, you know, and that's Tigres, that's a very good team, but on the other side, I think, uh, you know, we did very well. Uh, of course, uh, it is, uh, you know, um, space to improve, uh, you know, especially with the ball, uh, but as well, you know, it was the, 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 the stadium we, I would say, never played, I, basically last year, but very rare. And uh, I think we've done a um, great job tonight. And now it's, you know, it's first half is done, second half in front of us uh, next week uh, in Monterey against Tigres. And then, you know, we are hoping and we believe in ourselves that we're going to go there and play another great game. You've only had a couple of weeks to get the chemistry going with Ryan and Brian and, and Fafa as well. Do, do you feel it's getting there? We saw some flashes tonight that makes it look quite exciting as to what this front three could be for the team this year. Yeah, exactly. You know, basically, uh, this is our first official ga game that we play together. But, I mean, uh, I know them even before, you know, playing against them, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, the quality of, of you know, of, of every single them, uh, of, of uh, the players uh, and teammates is just, uh, you know, unbelievable. And uh, now it's uh, up to us, you know, to show um, this quality on the field every single game and, you know, to do uh, all things in the benefit of, uh, of the team to get even, you know, better results and great results during the season. I guess, Demir, um, obviously, uh, as a veteran of the league, what do you kind of feel after a game like this where you guys to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tigres about the direction of the where the team's going and perhaps is that a reason why you signed with it this offseason? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think it's, it's all positive things, especially now, uh, you know, when we saw tonight that uh, we can play uh, against Tigers with, with no problem and uh, we know and we expect it's going to be a tough game over there, you know, because you know that Tigers is, you know, individually uh, as a group, uh, very good team, as a collective, very good team and uh, um, now it's up to us, uh, you know, to to go there, to prove ourselves, to, to play as we play tonight, to be, to be very compact, to not allow them to create any, you know, big chances, which they didn't tonight too. And, uh, you know, try to score the goal and uh, win the game. And, uh, you know, we are all winners. Uh, any of us wants to win. And that's our obligation to go there to, you know, play another great uh, game. And then the result is going to take care about, their, uh, about you know, themselves. And what do you just make of the fluid front three you played in? The fact that you get to drop a bit deeper, play sometimes in behind and, and kind of interconnect with the, your team the way you were able to today? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we had like, uh, whatever, 22 days of, of pre-season. Uh, to, to get this chemistry together and I think uh, we've done a very good job uh, you know and uh, I'm just uh, looking forward of, of more you know great games uh, you know uh, great team goals assists and you know just uh, what makes at the end of the day everyone happy uh, Demir, talk me through what your feelings were when you scored that goal and you got to celebrate in front of the Southsiders for the first time for this club. Yeah, it was an unbelievable moment, uh, you know, as well. I would like to say uh, thank you uh, to everyone, especially for the teammates, to great welcome to the coaching staff, medical staff, uh, you know, all employees of the club. You know, it was the unbelievable way they accepted me in a team. 
and uh, just proud to be part of it, you know. And uh, you know, knowing to playing the B and to score in the first game, it's just an unbelievable moment. But it's not about uh, you know uh, about one person; it's about all the team. And I think it was great team goal, great team effort tonight. And now it's uh, you know up to us, uh, you know, to prove ourselves. As I said, every single day. And then basically I'm saying always you are winning the games during the week and then you are picking them up on the weekend, you know. And this is how our mentality has to be, you know, to training well, to, to practice well, and then the game is going to take care about ourselves. And then you're used to going into hostile environments after playing in Germany for Union Berlin, going to Dortmund and to Bayern. What are you expecting going into Monterrey, knowing how Mexican fans are, even what you saw today? How are you preparing for that mentally, playing under that kind of pressure? Exactly. We just have to stay calm. You know, uh, just we know what we're going to expect there is going to be a tough game, definitely. And it's all about how we're going to approach and control these first 15 minutes. Uh, you know, we have to, to know that these first 15 minutes is going to be very tough, especially, you know, they're going to go hard on us, you know, and uh, even having uh, their fans behind them. But then it's totally up to us how we're going to approach this first 15 minutes. If we approach this on a, on a great way, then of course it's going to be positive uh, result at the, at the end of the game. The big front three, White, Gold and Krylak there, just with their post-game thoughts to myself, Felipe and Alex after the match. All to play for now in Monterey in the game on Wednesday. Still a, a tough task. If they can do, go down and put a good show in, I think it'll just add to the the hope and the enthusiasm the vast majority of the Whitecaps fan base have for this season, not whoever it is that Zach is reading online Mis- misery loves misery i think that's that's the same um this this will be really interesting this has the the chance for them to do something they've never done but they have to be wary that also they don't go in there and uh expose themselves uh, at the back and and take a bit of a, a beating right because yeah that that could happen in that environment. And that could knock their confidence uh, as well. It exactly. was pointed out to me that the last MLS team to go down there and beat Tigris in Monterey was a Canadian team, TFC, in that mm. run that they had in 2018. So can the right. Whitecaps repeat that? Fingers crossed. But a lot of positivity for the Whitecaps fan base, a lot to take from this game. Vanny Sartini's happy as well and with it being our 600th episode we wanted a special interview for it and we've got just that as we sit down with the gaffer to talk all things Whitecaps and we'll be back with that and this episode's song from our album of the month after this Hi I'm Damir Kralak and you're guys listening to AFTN Soccer Show
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our song from this month's Album of the Month here at AFTN, English band Marion from 1996. The album is This World and Body, the band's debut album, and that is one of my favourite songs on it, The Only Way, Absolute Belter, definitely one of the, the strongest songs on the album. Very surprised, really, that it wasn't released as a single. There's only, I think, three songs released from the album as singles, and we'll have one of them, which was actually released twice as next week's show. So you can let us know if you're enjoying this album. You can check it out in all the usual places. But we'll move back to the football chat now, and the first of two feature interviews on this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show with the gaffer himself, Vanny Sartini. Vanny just celebrated being in charge of the Whitecaps for a hundred games with that game over on the island against Tigris on Wednesday. Kind of fitting in a way, because Vanny took over the Whitecaps on the 27th of August 2021, taking over the reins from Mark DeSantis after that defeat on the island at Starlight Stadium to Pacific FC in the Canadian Championship. He's been in charge now for 100 games. He signed his contract extension just a, a few months ago towards the end of last season. We always enjoy chatting with Vanny on the show. So go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our chat. We'll touch on the past, we'll touch on the present and we'll look ahead to the future with a gaffer. Vanny, thank you for joining us. This is a, a special show for us. It's our 600th episode. Don't know how many times we've spoken to you during those 600, but... It seems very fitting that you're joining us for this episode because you've just hit your own milestone of a uh, hundred games in charge. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you. And first of all, congratulations. Six hundred episode is not that uh, uh, bad. You know, a lot of people start a podcast, starts a publication, whatever. Reaching six hundred, it means that uh, you are doing a fantastic job for the soccer audience in the lower mainland. So, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, we've been going since March 2013. So at some point, folk will get fed up listening to me. <laughs> so we'll get into your milestone in a bit as well. But like the last time we, we actually spoke on the show, you were just getting set to go off to Japan. And I've seen all your photos on Instagram. How how was that trip? It was very nice, actually. We had, a, we had fun, me and my wife. It was a fantastic country, a fantastic uh place to visit and I'm telling you for sure it is uh, it hasn't been my my last time in Japan I really want to explore more the uh, the country explore even more the the culture I was very happy that I was able to I would say uh, struck some conversation I was okay talking with people so my Japanese was actually I would say uh, no I, I want to say fluent but at least uh, enough to go to go by, so yeah, you know, it was a nice, nice day. That was good, yeah, the photos looked good. It's never a place that I've really wanted to go, but the more photos and stuff I see of it, it does look such a unique experience. 
I think if I went and maybe did a cruise somewhere around all those places and just saw a lot of little things, but you definitely seem to have a great time and you've been travelling all over the place. It's like Japan, Spain, <laughs> yeah. the island, Mexico. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exotic. Well, yeah, you know, yeah, it is. It's very uh, good for my for my miles. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, you know, after that, we, uh, of course, we've been three weeks in Spain with the team for, uh, uh, for pre-season. It was, to be honest, really good, really good. We worked a lot. We, we, we were in a fantastic setup. Uh, the weather was amazing. So uh, it gave us the possibility to, again, to work a lot, do a lot of double session. And uh, we played against very good uh, opposition. And I think that uh, the fruit of the labor, we you already saw it in the first game against Tigres. You know, uh, to be honest, I think we, I, I, we ex- the team exceeded my expectations in terms of condition on, on that game, to be honest. Yeah, I've got to say mine too. I, I went over there thinking if we can get away with a nil-nil draw, I, I'd be kind of happy with that. And uh-huh. I mean... It, it was quite a the the fact that that was your hundredth game in charge. It it's kind of looking back at it. You took over after a game uh, in Langford yeah. that hadn't gone so well, and now you're a hundred games in, and you're in Langford for that. You you've got you've won more games than you've lost over that hundred. How do you look back at your first hundred games in charge of the team? Yeah. So first of all, it's been. Well, I, I think it's a very, it's a great achievement in modern football to stay uh, for more than two years uh, as a head coach of a team. It's it's not that easy, but uh, especially for the way that I became the coach of the team, and also when I became the coach of the team, it was supposed to be only for a few games, and then to pass the torch to the real coach. Like I, uh, my my initial job was to be an interim coach. So if I see. Of course, the, the, the if I have to 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 like to trace, uh, I would say a balance of my of my of my hundred games. And for sure, it's positive. We want to we want to to trophy. We went twice to the playoff. We did. I would say we improved the team dramatically, in my opinion, from the from the when I took the, when I took over the team till uh, till now, and. Uh, uh, you know, the, it's it seems even impossible that uh, uh, I, now it's normal for me to be the coach of this team, and now it's normal to be uh, the head coach of an MLS team because it was so sudden and so uh, incredible the circumstances where I where I got a job that it looked really impossible. That looking forward two and a half years later, I would be still at the uh, at the head of the of the team and. Uh, I have to thanks for sure. Uh, first of all, the players, uh, whoever the, the guys that were for hundred games there, the guy that been they played the first game last uh, last Wednesday, and uh, and second of all, the the club, the club uh, took a massive and Axel brought like uh, first of all took a massive, uh, I would say bet, giving me the team and uh, confirming me uh, the first time after fourteen games, even if, even though we did very well, it was. Still a bet, and uh, you know, uh, I I'm, I'm really I'm really grateful that they gave me this opportunity because uh, we're still we're doing something that I think is uh, is in the right direction, and we 
I'm enjoying a lot, but it looks like the people of Vancouver are enjoying a lot too. So, yeah, I, I think they are. And we, we touched on this the last few times that we, we've spoken in depth on the podcast. But when you look at the Vanny that was took over that first game to the Vanny now, do you feel yeah. you've kind of grown exponentially? Do you still have a lot of growth that you feel you need to do? Yeah, of course, I still have a lot to grow. But if I look at myself uh, uh, of the coach that was uh, uh, preparing the game against Old Lake in the August of 2021, and now I can see to almost two different person changes the essence of of the human being. And so, of course, I try to change for the good and to be a better coach in a lot of things, to be... Uh, in the, in the small things, so uh, even uh, being more prepared in things that I was already thinking that was good, like I don't know, being tactically savvy or uh, applying the right methodology when uh, when we are training. And uh, I also I think made a lot of uh, improvement in uh, things that uh, I didn't do it before actually. So I was really relatively new. So like. Uh, I think dealing with the dealing with the players individually, dealing with uh, managing above, managing the club, and the owners, the, the sporting directors, uh, dealing with you guys, the, the, the press. So you know, yeah, for sure, I'm a I'm a I'm a different coach because also I'm a different person than Twitter. Yeah, looking back there on Wednesday's game, just qu- quickly, cause yeah. we, we spoke a bit after the game and. Uh, some of the stuff I'm going to ask you now, we kind of we, we chatted about just as we were walking across the pitch. Yeah. But just to kind of get it officially on on record, the the game itself, I I mean, obviously first game of the season, there's going to be some things that need improved upon. But the yeah. defensive shape, the lines, the the kind of frustration or that you had of Tigris, they didn't seem to know how to deal with it, and as well as the quick counterplay and the interaction of the front three. It must have pleased you so much to see the early work pay off so quickly. Yeah, you know, uh, it's true. We did very well. And uh, I think it's given mainly by the fact that, uh, you know, we had 10 out of 11 players that started the game that were with us last year. Yeah. And uh, I think even last year, especially in the second part of the season, our defensive structure was I would say amazing. If you remember the last games of the season, when we played in Seattle, when we played LAFC at home, when we played San Luis at home, all good teams, they didn't create anything against us. Uh, uh, and even in the playoff game, uh, we considered five goals in LA, but three was because three were on the set place. It was a little bit our Achilles heels last year. And uh, and the, the, the game that we did in, at home in the playoff was actually really, really, really good defensively. So I think it's uh, it's, uh, it's growth of the team. Everyone knows what what is uh, what are their roles, what are their what we want to do. It uh, some guys uh, they made in the second part of the last season and in this preseason extreme growth, especially in understanding the principle of the team. I I, I tell your name, Matthias Laborda, for example, that. Uh, for me, it's a completely different player if we compare him at the beginning of this season to the beginning of last season and uh, for the better. And uh, and uh, we, we we were able to, and, and some other guys, they they grew up uh, exponentially in the 
the, the tactical discipline. I, Pedro Vite, for example, Ryan Raposo, uh, really good in uh, in uh, in applying what we want defensively. So I'm I'm really I'm really really happy. You mentioned Matias there. I'm certainly going to touch on on him. I I thought he was outstanding on on Wednesday. For me, up there for players of the game, I still don't know how Gignac got that because he was quite ineffective for most of it. But we spoke after the game and you said that you you feel the team plays a proper back three, whereas a lot of teams around the world say they play a back three, but really they're playing a a back five. You've tinkered, you've you've looked at different formation outlets. It's like the the three at the back that is primarily what you're wanting this season, and you you must feel comfortable with the guys that you've got that can rotate in and out of that. They all look very capable of playing that. Yeah, when we don't have the ball, yes, I think the back three is the best way to play with the players that we have and with the type of. Uh, uh, game that we do out of possession that is all related to defending the space it's related to being as compact as we can and uh, to uh, have the, our distance between the line and between the players in the same line as the most important thing to keep uh, tight uh, so yeah I I don't know the exact statistics but I think that defensively on 100 games in charge, at least 85 are playing with the back three. 80, 80, between 80 and 85. So that's uh, that's uh, something that uh, I feel more comfortable with this team, even generally, I would say. That's that's what I like more when we don't have the ball to play with three defenders instead of four. And uh, so I think that uh, moving forward, that will be the structure uh, when we don't have the ball. When we have the ball, we'll see. Because, you know, I like to be uh, even more... Last year, i give you an example. Uh, we were fantastic, in my opinion, when with the ball, when in the first part of the season, we were playing with the back four. So I'm just th- I'm thinking that, okay, is it okay to keep the back three offensively and defensively? Or maybe we can have a structure sometimes that one of the center back when we are in possession becomes a fullback a little bit wide and we only and we have so in this way we have one additional player uh, up front uh, so it didn't happen against Tigres we played with the fullback three even even when we had the ball but uh, that's a possibility that I want to have for the uh, for the rest of the season and uh, we already tried in the first two preseason game in uh, in Spain and for sure we will try it again in some other friendly games that we'll do before starting the, the league. I mean, you've certainly got the players that's giving you a lot of different options for formations as well, depending as well on who you're playing. I mean, Anders Kubis obviously was missing on Wednesday. Is that anything fans should be concerned by? Is it just a, a small niggle that you're not expecting to last too long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you that uh, we expect Andres to be starting the game next Wednesday in in, in Mexico. So it's uh, we are. Uh, uh, he always uh, have this uh, kind of little problem sometimes. You know, he always missed like three or four games during the season because of this back problem or this hip problem, and also because the way that he plays is so. Uh, I would say on the limit, on the edge every time, trying to win every tackle. 
if you remember last year against uh, San Luis when he had this problem at the, at the shoulder and he yeah. had to and he had to get out. So you know it is it is what it is. If, if it's a small price to pay to have a player that aggressive in the midfield and that ready to go in the midfield every time that uh, that uh, that is hundred uh, percent. So it's not something that the fans should be very worried about because again as. Uh, Touching wood and everything, but at, at the moment he he will be starting the game on uh, on uh, Wednesday. I mean, the the guy that took his role uh, over in Langford, Pedro Viti, I thought he was a revelation. You don't expect him at a yeah. six. And like we, we spoke after the game about that, you see Pedro as a midfielder. You think he can play any of the of the four midfield positions, and it it felt. With the additions that you've made us, it it's kind of felt like how do you fit Pedro in the team? But it looks like he's a guy that you could certainly fit in a lot of places this year. Yeah, um, so it's a little bit of a soft spot because I'm really proud of what Pedro did in uh, these two years uh, that I coached him, and uh, I think he matured enormously as a player. And then he's one of the players that uh, you know when you change your opinion with a player like. Uh, the first couple of months was, yeah, he has talent, but maybe he's a little soft, not intense enough. And then he works a lot and he makes you change uh, what you think about him. And now he's, I'm in love with him as a player, to be honest. And uh, and uh, again, so I think it really big credit to him of the work that he did and the quality that he has. Personally, again, I think that the deeper he played, the far he played for the opposition goal as a starting position, the better it is. Because he's a player that likes a lot to be involved a lot in the game. He likes to touch the ball a lot. He likes to uh, be part of the, the build-up, to drop, play. So the deeper he plays, the better it is. Of course, if you play deeper on the field, you need to develop skills that are you have to follow the tactical plan, not only offensively, but also defensively, and to be very good uh, in situation that you, you're not facing when you are playing like as a number 10 or as a second strike. So uh, I think he developed enormously in that. I think I'm going to say something. He's ready to be probably one of the top five midfielder in, the, in this league, to be honest. And uh, he will be a very important player for us moving forward. Yeah, excited to see that and, and what he can do this year. He does seem to be a guy that's just getting better and better. And I, I think I, throughout the team, it's very exciting. I'm very excited uh, about the attack. Big fan of Demir, Krylak, having him coming into the team's obviously big. Getting that first goal as well is big. Fafa Pico as well. I mean, you've always said you don't like wingers, and then you sign a winger yeah. in Fafa Pico. So, yeah. how do you, how do you see all of them coming together? Is it a case of like it depends on the opposition as to who's going to play, how wide you're going to have them? Yeah, kinda. I say every time that I don't like wingers as a position, but I like the characteristic that the winger has. To be honest, if like Fafa that you can go one v one one v one at players. You're able to dribble the ball. You're very good. Uh, you're very fast. You can attack the space. I think you can play easily in our in our system. Uh, it's it's going to be two things. The fact of the different opposition that we're going to face. And it's going to be, of course, uh, 
sometimes it's something more suitable to play with uh, two strikers, like we did last game, two number nine, uh, Brian and uh, and uh, and Amir. Sometimes it's maybe more suitable to play maybe with uh, three guys that is uh, a striker and two guys on literally a little bit on their side. So play with Fafa and another guy and, 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 and number nine. Um, so that's the kind of uh, differences and that we want to bring to our uh, offensive shape. The other thing it's about uh, following the tactics to the team. So Fafa, for for his characteristic, has always been very, quote-unquote, anarchic as a player. Okay, so okay, relying on individual skills and playing almost an individual games in 11th. I think that if we are able and if he's willing, and like he's doing now, to understand that we play a, 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 an extremely organized uh, system where everyone needs to move in a certain way at a certain moment, that's going to help him even more to uh, spare energy and to be in the right place at the right moment where he can uh, exploit his uh, quality that are really high. And so I would say Damir has uh, picked up uh, immediately what we want tactically from the players. So that's the reason why I would say at the moment is slightly ahead of Fafa. But uh, I think that Fafa is going to be ready to be an asset for the team very soon. I guess the other big position to kind of talk about is right wing back. Obviously, Richie Larea is now definitely not coming back, at least until the summer, because he's, he's in Forrest's 25-man squad for the rest of the season, which is great for Richie, assuming he's involved. If he's not used, it's maybe not so great for him. But is that a position now that you feel you still have to look at to fill now or are you prepared to wait and see how things go until maybe this summer? No, we're always looking to, I would say, things in order to improve uh, the team and to to make, uh, uh, I would say, uh, the, the, the team better. Uh, so we, at the moment, we're a little bit of an, kind of, you know, an emergency in that position because players that can play wing back like Sema Dekubi and uh, and Hali Ahmed are out. And uh, to be honest, uh, both Ryan Raposo and Luis Martins, I think they're better on the left. Even Ryan, even if it's a right-footed, mm. I think it's a, it's a natural left wing. It's not a natural right wing for his quality. His quality is, even on the 1v1, is to cut it inside. He plays a very good blind ball. So he's... Uh, he put a fantastic shift on the right, but I think that naturally is more of a player that he can play on the left. Uh, so, yeah, we are looking at uh, in the market, but we are not desperate because, again, at the same time, we have Sam and Ali that in a month they will be back. And uh, so only if there's something that is going to make sense uh, in terms of uh, really improving the quality of the team, We'll do something, but we have we, we are the club is being is being active there, and we are looking at uh, uh, several players in that position. You also still have a, a DP spot available, and I know folk get hung up on on things like DP spots and under twenty two roster spots, basically because that's just how MLS has got folk thinking. I mean, is that something you're pushing? Yeah. To, are, are you pushing to fill? that role or are you not in any rush to, to fill that? You just want basically the best player 
for the need that you have, and whether he's a DP or not doesn't really matter. So uh, I'm so I'm not pushing because I'm not the the the. I don't think, first of all, that this is the role of the coach. I, I think I shouldn't push the club to to I, I to buy players or to sign players or I want this or I want that. I think that the role of the coach is to try to create the best thing possible with the players that we have and to create a, uh, an atmosphere and to lead a, a group in a way that if the team buys, sign the new players, uh, it's easy for the players to get to get integrated in. So the other thing is also that the DP are literally owners' money is not is not in the salary cap and everything. So you know you you it's not uh, I would say uh, uh, I don't want to say <laughs> it's not it's not my task to ask uh, the owners yo give put ten million for a player. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the other thing. On the on the on the third part of that. I also do, uh, an, uh, to be honest, an evaluation on on my skills as a coach, uh, and how do I see uh, the game. So I always say that the team is the leader. I always say that uh, uh, I think uh, our system, our way of working, it functions because also we have a certain kind of player that I accept. That they accept that there's no superstar in this team. That everyone needs to uh, work for the for everyone and and uh, everyone needs to really put the team first and so i think that uh, uh, he wouldn't be ideal uh, to have me as a coach of a team of superstars i have to be honest that's, uh, that's i don't know i never had it the, the chance fair. the chance before but uh, i would uh, i don't know if i would be the best person to manage it because i consider myself uh, much more of a teacher of the game and an organizer than a manager of superstars. So if Messi had said, I want to come to Vancouver, you'd be like, no, I, I don't, I don't want you here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But uh, you know, you see what happened. Messi went to Miami and he brought the coach that he liked. So yeah. probably if Messi come here, yeah, Tata Martino would coach the team, not me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've we seen that. We've talked about it over the years. It's like sometimes big players have come to MLS and they must look at their coach and think, I've done this, this and this. What have you done? Why are you telling me what to do? And that's not necessarily the right thing, but it's just, I think, human, yeah. human nature. I, I don't know. Have you had a chance to watch much of the African Cup of Nations or the Asian Cup? A little bit. I watched a little bit uh, more the Asian Cup, to be honest, than the Africa Cup. Africa Cup, a couple of games, but the Asian Cup, I watched. Uh, uh, I watched some games. So yeah. I, I've been the opposite. I've watched more of the African, but it just feels there's so many countries there just now that it's like the game is changing. Yeah. And there's so much talent, and I know we've brought a couple of African lads over to WFC too. Is that a is that a part of the world that you're like actively looking towards and keeping an eye on, like Asia, Africa, for? I don't know if there is diamonds in the rough anymore. I don't even know if, if that's a thing with so much scouting that exists. But no. yeah, I mean, do you yeah, feel Baba, that's you're right? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I think, uh, I think, uh, I don't say anything new to say that football is uh, a really globalized world now. So we we need to. To look at every market, at every country, and uh, at every competition, and uh, and you know you have uh, uh, a lot of uh, players that are good and a lot of teams that are good that 
you 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 wouldn't have thought before. Like you know, I never 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 associated Jordan with a good team of national team of football, and they went yeah. to the final of the of the Asian Cup. I you know you you see the all these new nation in the African Cup doing fantastically, like, like uh, uh, Guinea Equatorial, uh, you know um, Cape Verde. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, that's the reason. That's one because I think that FIFA did a, a really good thing in the last fifteen years to change a little bit the rules, and uh, you don't you're not locked with the national association from the age of fifteen. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of players that uh, that uh, they love to represent the country or the family of the fathers, even if they grew up in France or Portugal or 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 any other European uh, European country. And so yes, I can I can easily tell you that we watch also some games in order to scout players, not only for the fun of watching football, because there's a lot of good players that uh, you can find that uh, at every latitude, and uh, you know, uh, even though sometimes it's even if you look this this morning there was the final of the the Africa Cup, I think uh, I, at least. Uh, 15 out of 22 players are starters in the top five leagues. So, you know, that's like, it's really high quality. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You're maybe not finding a, a lot of stuff there. Um, I just got a few more things to ask you. And then I don't know if you're going to watch the yeah. Super Bowl today or not, but it's, oh, yeah. Are you going to watch the Super Bowl? Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm uh, like, it's rainy day. I'm home. So, Football is not my big thing, to be honest. It's not a sport that I love more. But you know, the Super Bowl, I, I'm, I'm, I, I will have a look. I will have a distract look for sure. Well, I'm a 49ers fan, so I'll be actively okay. watching it. <laughs> yeah, you touched on set pieces earlier, and it is no secret yeah. to know that the, the team were not great last year. The a recent MLS article pointed out that the 0. 0.41 yeah. goals per game was the worst in the league. I mean, yeah. it's easier said than done. And obviously, it, it was a set-piece goal on Wednesday, but that was a slightly yeah, different, different set-piece yeah. goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, is, is it something that you've actively been working on? I mean, how how do you improve yeah. in that? Well, improving in a couple of ways. Like, you know, first of all, you analyse what happened. And uh, you try to understand if there's a, some structural thing that you can change and we changed a little bit our way of uh, positioning in defending corner kicks and wide free kicks this season so that's the that's the first thing the second thing is that uh, to give you an example both Damir and Fafa are really good on set plays both offensively and defensively so Damir is big and Fafa is deceivingly is deceivingly small if you see his uh, his uh, history in MLS he scored goals with the headers, and he always been very active uh, defending for his team in set plays. So, their uh, market, what we even Bjorn and Bilal that we that we signed, are very uh, good players on set plays. Are good players that can help in this kind of uh, uh, kind of a part of the game. So that's 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 the other thing. And the third thing, we actually we sit down with the staff in the in the in the off season and we say okay are we training that in the right way because of course it's uh, it's not only the 
the strategy is not only the personnel, but also we need to there are, because there are some parts of the games that uh, the players they picked up immediately. Sometimes some parts of the game that the players uh, I would say struggled to pick up. So we made this uh, effort uh, to uh, train the set players in a more intentional way and in more even in a bigger way uh, to to be to be, I would say, ready to to perform better because uh, I totally, you know, you cannot uh, contest what he was saying in that article or what everyone said because it was true. And we need to we need to improve our 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 score. And by the way, our last uh, game uh, expected goals on set plays were very good because we're very low. And even if we consider on set plays, probably XG on Gignac shot was like. A, Zero zero point five. I don't know, whatever, or even less. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't bother with those stats. I'm, I'm old school. It yeah. means nothing to me. But I mean, we're we're three weeks basically now to the MLS season gets underway. Obviously, you, you start in the the year with the suspension. I, I've had a lot of folk yeah. ask me this, and I, I don't genuinely know the answer. So on game day, what are you allowed to yeah. do? And like, are you allowed to be with the team until a certain time? And then, are you allowed in the locker room at any point? So I am allowed to be with the team uh, if uh, nothing changed from the previous season. I'm allowed to be with the team till ninety minutes prior to the game. Right. So that's uh, so I'll do everything. I'll do the pre-game speech, the tactical speech, and everything. And I'll leave the team basically alone when they have to prepare themselves to go. To go for treatment and then for uh, for uh, for a warm up. Again, I think I'm not allowed to have any contact, but I I, um, I will ask to be honest the MLS because I saw yesterday, for example, uh, Simone Inzaghi was suspended in, uh, in Roma Inter in Serie A games, and is in the first page of the biggest sports newspaper in Italy. There was the reported that he. He FaceTimed the team at uh, the end of the first half, and uh, wow. and they talk with them. So if they reported, if if they reported on the press, it probably means that is allowed because if not, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. And, uh, so I I don't know if I'm allowed to have any kind of contact, and uh, of course I will be asking the league because of course I want to be compliant with uh, uh, whatever whatever they say. Yeah. And. Uh, and uh, and uh, if I can, I will be able to speak with the staff and to speak with the with the, with Mike with Brendan during the game, and they can let's say transmit my message to the player, mm. not only their message. If I cannot, uh, there is no problem. It will be a even a bigger, I would say, challenge in order to improve us as a coaching staff because we are already. I would say basically every time on the same page, we need to be even more on the same page because you know uh, there's not uh, there's a voice less on the on the on the bench and there's mm-hmm. not the usual guy who take the decision on the bench. So, but they will be for sure able to do to do everything. But uh, yeah, again, I yeah. I actually have in uh, in my calendar uh, a mail to ask the 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 league to be honest which are because I. I don't want. I don't want to do. I think that is wrong, and then maybe get an additional suspension because I did something wrong. I mean, (laughs) technically, and I've seen this. It's like 
coaches get sent off and then they go in the first row of the stand right behind the bench and they're still yeah. yelling at so I, I don't know it's like letter of the law and stuff I have no like idea I, I'll, I'll uh, I, it doesn't bother me in my opinion what happened on the on the during the game so I will be able to work during the week to 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 do all the speech before the game to talk with the players before the game so I am not to be honest, coaching in the game is literally five percent of my job. Yeah, like I know that you guys that you guys look more like that's the thing that you that you see more, but it's like five or ten percent of my job. Uh, so and Mike and Brendan can do easily, uh, easily. The thing that is uh, kind of bothering me and really frustrating me that I'm not helping the team is the halftime because I think that yeah. the coaches have uh, at halftime as uh, as a lot of. Uh, influence and uh you know uh but uh the only guilty part uh it's uh it's me because i shouldn't have been sent off and yeah. uh so that's uh, that, that it is what it is <laughs> have you have you started your training course or whatever it is you have to do <laughs> i did yeah yeah yeah. i'm basically plain and simple i'm 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 doing therapy basically i'm doing i'm looking i'm talking with a sports psychologist and there's a lot of uh a lot of talk about it. To be honest, it's actually really nice. And yeah. uh, I'm. He told me that he's. He told me that he's going to file my character evaluation like in in a week or something. And uh, we did a lot of work, a lot of exercise that uh, I think are gonna they're gonna improve my. Uh, I would say ability to not lose concentration when I get pissed off on the on the on the <laughs> sideline. Let's say like this. So again. I'm an optimist, so That's everything everything happens uh, for a good reason. Yeah. yeah. Right, I have two last things to ask you. So, obviously, Messi's coming to town this season. I mean, as a coach, yeah. what must that be like? You've got a chance yeah. now to put a team out against the bit, arguably the best player ever to have played the game, but I, I don't agree that he is. But we won't get into that discussion just now. But it's like, that yeah, must, be, yeah, yeah. must be exciting to to have that like potential to do that well it's extremely it's extremely exciting and to uh yeah i don't want to again be in this uh, uh debate uh, the greatest of all time so everyone has his own greatest of all time generationally my my greatest of all time is maradona so that's the thing and uh uh but uh yeah it's i think it's it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be fantastic I'm not that excited, to be honest, more than I was excited when we played against, uh, I don't know, I remember as assistant coach, we played against Ibrahimovic, we played against mm. Rooney, we played, uh, I was very excited, to be honest, when we played uh, Toronto uh, against Insigne and Bernardeschi. I know that yeah. Messi is a different caliber. I know that Messi is a different thing. Messi is a different thing. But again, I see the game in in such a team shape that I'm really happy that it's going to happening because it's also a testament on how good MLS became because I'm going to play a game against uh, uh, Suarez, Messi, Jordi Alba and Busquets and we have a chance to win the game. So it's going to be on, on how good we are, to be honest. And also I'm, I'm going to be extremely, extremely excited because there are going to be like 55,000 people. So it's going to be like, a, oh, it's going to be a blast. To be honest. Amazing. <laughs> Last thing, it's the 50th anniversary season. What does it mean 
to you to yeah. to be part of the like this club's history, this club's folklore, to be in charge of a team for for such a historic season? Well, it means the world. It means the world to be to be part of the of this big season, to have this big role for this season. Uh, this club means the world to me. This club, again, I told you before, is the club who took a massive bet on uh, on try to uh, on giving me the possibility to uh, to be a head coach at a certain level, and um, I will be always ready to to do the extra mile for the club and to celebrate this club in the best way possible. So I hope that it's going to be a fantastic season, not only because it's the 50th anniversary, that is a big deal. In North American soccer, it's a big deal because it's like 200 years in European, I would say, standard, 50 years in North America. And uh, um, with, a, with, a, with a trophy, maybe, or with a great season. So, yeah, I... I like uh, milestones, so I was really happy to do my hundred games last week. I, to be honest, I look at I look upon on transfer mark to the number one manager in the history of the White Cups with more games, and uh, uh, you know, I I hope that I'm gonna that I'm gonna be close to there in a couple of years. I have two years contract, so if we do very well and we have a lot of games, I will be number one at the end of 2025, and there's another milestone uh, and. Uh, that I will be happy to celebrate with the club. Well, that that's amazing. The first coach was Scottish, so it's maybe apt that I'm talking to the coach that's in the 50th season as well. Thank you, as <laughs> always, for your time, yeah. Vanny. Safe travels to Mexico. Good luck on Wednesday. I, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a tough one, I know, but it's like, yeah, just give it your best and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a tough one for sure, but... Uh... There's no pleasure to win easy things, so it's it's beauty. It's good that it's a tough one. So let's uh, let's try to go, sneak a win, and uh, go through the Champions League and start the season in the best way possible. Cheers, Vanny, and we'll talk soon. Vanny Sartini there, a fantastic chat as always with the gaffer and we, we won't sort of pick apart what he said there and kind of review some of what he said Zach because well, you haven't heard the interview yet at the time of recording this so we'll we'll let you listen to it and then we'll kind of kind of talk about some of the, the stuff that he, he said in, in next week's show, we'll get some of the listeners thoughts as well. They can get in touch in the usual places, AFT in Canada on Twitter, AFT in Canada hotmail.com. But just some very honest stuff there from Vanny, just authentic uh, as ever. How would you sum up Vanny's first 100 games in charge of the Whitecaps? I, I saw some discussions about this online in the last week or so. I did too. And, and I... I... I, I saw people comparing some some of the statistics of his first hundred versus people like Robbo and Martin and maybe one or two others I can't remember. But and so the statistics actually weren't, if I remember correctly, they weren't that hugely different. No, he's um, he's had more wins and defeats, but they are kind of on a on a bit of a par with with like Robbo, MDS. No, but yeah. 
Um, yeah, Martin Rennie had a had a good start and stuff as well. You've got to remember he made the playoffs in a, in his first season as well. But I mean, for having that many games, he's I think he's right up there. But I mean, even without that, just the I what I always like to to think it's like what your eyes are, are telling you. Exactly, that, that, it's a that, much more enjoyable team to watch. Totally, and that's what I was going to say. I saw these people talking about the statistics and whatever, and I was just like, uh, that's not. I mean, yeah, you want to win and you want more wins and loss or whatever. Like, that's ob- obvious. But, like, that's not the most important part, I think, when you think about the the Vanny era at the Whitecaps. It's, it's he took over at a very pivotal time and he went on a run and did things that no one thought were going to happen in that season. If that's, if that's how I remember it in my memory news. <laughs> you can correct me if I'm wrong including making playoffs. But then he also has gone on to win back-to-back Voyager's Cup, which I think is absolutely massive. Uh, yeah, and I don't feel Voyager. gets the full appreciation from some yeah. of the fan base. Also, i tell you something about that that pisses me off. When folk are like, oh, well, if you take away the games that you just beat CPL teams and stuff, it's like, that doesn't matter. It's a cup competition. You've got to beat who you're playing. Well, and I don't feel he gets the full credit for winning those two trophies. Well, especially when you uh, when you when you look at uh, his predecessor who lost twice to CPL clubs, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of underappreciated things, he also won the Cascadia Cup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that's not. Uh, I know I don't appreciate trophy. it as much as yeah. as I which used to, but fine. that's just because there's so many bloody competitions. Oh, that's, like... that's fine. But then he's also and, and there's things about him. I've I've said them before about his. Uh, his style as a coach and there's a few things that I don't really appreciate about him but the thing is you can't argue what he's done right you can't argue with the uh the way he's worked with the players the way they love him uh way you know you talk about Fafa Pico I know in the last couple weeks about oh yeah I want to come play for Mr. Vanny but you know so he he's done well for the Whitecaps in in that in in that respect and created uh been been a part of like Kind of re reinventing the club in 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 some ways, uh, he, along with Axel Schuster, and so mm-hmm. I, I think yeah, he's currently I I don't know what I can't remember what the numbers are, but I think he is as we talked about at the end of last season the most successful uh, Whitecaps coach in the, in the MLS era, and so yeah, uh, you know I, I think it was great. I think it was it was very nice for him. I think too that his hundredth game wasn't like after coming back from suspension in the league or whatever, but rather it was this, uh, you know, big uh, CONCACAF Cup game where it, you know, was played in a unique scenario and the game, which, you know, the game was really, really positive in in most respects. I mean, it was a a good performance. And I, I think some of the things that you don't appreciate about him are the things that I I love. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. We've I'm talking about that, obviously. Yeah. But... There's there's some things I don't appreciate about that. I know lots of people love about him, and that's yeah. that's totally cool. And just the last thing we'll say in this, which I, I mentioned that he had said, as I said, you haven't heard the interview yet, but I, I mentioned that we, we talked about the the suspension and the, and the therapy that he's had to go to, and how he feels mm. it's actually really helped him as a person and a coach, and he's enjoyed it. So. It'll be interesting to see that's great. what this Vanny is going to be like in the, the sidelines this year. 
Yeah. That's, the, I mean, that's encouraging. That's what that whole process was supposed to be about. And um, I'm glad he is reporting that it has been meaningful for him. And yeah. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing Vanny in charge this year. A great chat with him. Thank him as always. And good luck down in Monterey this midweek. That is it for the Whitecaps chat, though. We're going to turn our attention to the CPL, Vancouver FC, and our second feature interview of the show. And we'll be back with all of that after this. How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. They said beware of strangers, but now that's all we are. Rolling real-time auto-fiction, reveries with avatars. I'm what I think you think I am. The same voice sings a different song. A hundred billion neurons making it up as they go along. I don't know what you know. I know what I believe. I know what I can give, but I don't know what you receive. The knives are sharpened, pistols drawn. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, former Artist of the Month here at AFTN from Falkirk in Scotland, Arab Strap, with the first single taken from their upcoming album out on May 10th with a wonderful title of I'm Totally Fine With It, Thumbs Up Emoji, Don't Give a Fuck Anymore. Thumbs up emoji. Absolute classic album title there. A great band. That is their song Bliss. The band started in the mid-90s in Scotland. After a hiatus from 2006 to 2021, they came back with their seventh studio album as Days Get Dark in March 2021. Their upcoming album, their eighth in the discography and they still sound fantastic and fresh check that out check out all their earlier stuff as well so for this part we're going to turn our attention away from the Whitecaps and to the Canadian Premier League and the other Vancouver team in town Vancouver FC we've been covering their pretty impressive off-season rebuild in the last few weeks chatting with a lot of the new signings, but this week we're going to chat to to one of the OGs. Canadian midfielder Gabriel Bittar made 25 appearances for VFC last year in their inaugural season, scored six goals. The Ottawa native is the third stint 
technically for him in the CPL. He made one appearance for Cavalry in 2019, went away over to Lebanon for a, a little spell there, came back to the CPL with FC Edmonton in 2022 before joining up with VFC last year. And talking about Lebanon, he's got five caps now for the Lebanese national team, the two most recent of which came at the Asian Cup. Sadly, Lebanon never made it through the group stages, but what a fantastic experience for Gabby. One I'm sure he will look to build upon for the upcoming CPL season with Vancouver FC. And he was really starting to hit his form as the season came to an end last year. Really looking forward to, to seeing what he can do out in Langley this second season. So go stick the kettle on, grab another biscuit of choice because you are worth it. And sit back and enjoy our second feature interview this episode with Gabby Bittar. So, Gabby, welcome to the show. It's been a, a busy couple of weeks for you. A lot of travelling over to, to the Middle East for the Asian Cup. How, how are you feeling? How are you looking forward to getting back on the pitch for, for pre-season with Vancouver FC? Yeah, I feel, uh, I feel great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I feel great. It was, uh, it was a great experience for me, and um, I think it only motivated me to uh, push myself more for the upcoming season, the upcoming CPL season, and hopefully earn some more call-ups uh, through my performances in the CPL. Yeah, and you had such a good finish to, to 2023 it was a good all-round season but the finish in particular in, in the last nine games five goals three assists it, it kind of felt you were just really starting to hit your stride when the the season then came to an end is, is that how it felt for you as well yeah it was um I mean it was great the way we ended things I mean we didn't get off to the best start but to really see us persevere towards them the season and uh Give our fans something that they wanted to see was something that we could really be proud of. And we knew that if we could end the season off on a good note like we did, then it would propel us to hopefully start this CPL season on a strong foot and uh, really show the league what we can do because we really believe in ourselves. Ashton believes in us and we believe that we can do something big. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, God willing, we can we can really prove everyone in the league that we deserve to be amongst the top teams in this league. For you personally, what was it that kind of just seemed to click for you in the, the last quarter of the season? Because you, you were scoring goals, you were getting the assists, everything just seemed to be happening for you. I think more so at the beginning of the year, as you know, we were an expansion team last year. So it was it was pretty tough. Everything was kind of put together last second. The roster wasn't really set until, I'm not sure, until the, the before the season really started. So it was really hard to kind of build that um that camaraderie and that uh, chemistry with certain uh certain players and i mean our 11 was changing week in week out due to injuries and, and whatnot so i mean we we got pretty unlucky to start the season but i think as the season went on we started to you know we added some great players halfway through the season and we started to uh stick to more to an 11 and we got healthy and obviously as the team got healthier and the same players started playing more minutes together i think we we really built that uh, that chemistry, and you saw it towards the end of the season. I mean, we were, I think, one of the only teams to win the last 
or win five out of seven games or something like that. So, um, yeah, no, it was great. I mean, the players that we added were really quality players, and that really helped us. Uh, I mean, that really boosted our uh, our talent levels, and I think that was uh, that was a big one for us for sure last year. I, I first saw you play back in 2018 with Carlton when you, you were through here in BC for the the U Sports Nationals, which I, I was one of the commentators for and was very excited by your style of play. I remember mentioning on commentary that very bright future ahead for you. When you look back at that time at college, you were obviously at college just at the perfect time because the CPL was starting. Did you always go to college with the hope of playing professionally or was it get the education and then just basically see what happens honestly when i mean my first year the cpl wasn't a thing right so yeah my first year was kind of just you know what i mean i'm in town might as well play i mean i always wanted to play professionally that was always a dream of mine but really nothing had to come about and i told myself i'm not just going to sit around at home and uh you know what I mean? And just not play soccer. And the level at Carlton was pretty high. So mm-hmm. I decided, you know what? Um, in my first year, I, I decided I'm going to play for them. And thankfully, I got uh, I got an invitation to a preseason trial with Toronto FC. And so I think once I received that, it kind of gave me confidence to um, tell myself that I can play at that, at that level. And then obviously, when the CPL came about, it was just more extra motivation for me to to push harder to get into that league and and hopefully establish myself and um i'm thankful that that opportunity did come about and i'm trying to do my best to really uh stay and stay in the league and prove that i can be one of the better players here i mean technically vancouver fc is your third club i mean cavalry i know you just made the, the one appearance and you you were on that u sports contract I mean, at the time that you had at Edmonton, you shone well there. You did well there in a team that was just in disarray off the pitch. I mean, how how difficult a season was that? It was tough. I mean, losing is never easy for a player and a team. But Allen did a really good job of really keeping us dialed in and, and focused week in, week out. I mean, it, like you said, we weren't in the best we weren't in the best situation to succeed. But once we stepped on the field, we completely forgot about that. That wasn't in the back of our heads. We were just trying to win win for the next 90 minutes. So, um, yeah, no, it was tough. It was tough, I agree. But at the end of the day, I, th- I feel like the players really, the players and the staff didn't make it seem like we were going through so much off the field because of how focused we were on whatever game we had or whatever games we had that week, which was great for us as players. But, yeah, I know it was um, it was a tough season for sure. But for me personally, I had I really enjoyed it. I gained a lot of experience, and I mean, it really propelled me to to uh, to have uh, to have a great season at Vancouver. So I'm very thankful for my time at Edmonton. Yeah, I think you had good coaching staff there for that particular scenario. I, like I've known, I've been friends with Alan Koch for about twelve years now, and he always spoke very highly of you and. It was good to kind of see you kind of stand out amongst all that. And then when did Vancouver FC kind of start to show interest to, to bring you here? Um, I would say maybe a month or two after, or maybe I would say like a month after the season ended, they um, they had announced that uh, there was going to be a club in Vancouver. 
And um, I had done a couple of interviews with Afshin and the and the coaching staff, and it just felt it just felt right. I mean, I Vancouver is a beautiful city. Afshin has the best resume I would say in the CPL as a, from a coaching standpoint. So for me, it was just go there, really learn from one of the most experienced coaches that uh, you can find in Canada, and um, just stick with it and see if. You know what I mean? We can build a winning culture, and I feel like we're 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 on the right path to that. Gabby, um, the first time I, Michael says, uh, of course, he saw you play when you were in university. Um, the first time I remember seeing you play, uh, especially live, was uh, was during that FC Edmonton year. And I was at the game in Edmonton when you hosted Pacific in July, and uh, you scored uh, in what was uh, an unfortunate. Um, you weren't quite able to make the comeback in that game, but you guys lost three two. But you turned the game around in a in a big way, and you were you and Kamara were like a huge huge part of that. And uh, I remember uh, as soon as I saw you uh, as one of the the first players for Vancouver, see, I was like, oh okay, this is a this is a good signal. This is a good sign of a player who has CPL experience, who I know can score, I know can contribute offensively. Um, yeah, what, um, what what were your thoughts when you came into 2023 and you were looking around at who the other players were on the team? Well, it's tough. Um, it's A lot of players came from abroad, obviously, and so um, from abroad or from uh, from different backgrounds. So it was, um, it was like, you couldn't really put an expectation. It was really just like, I just showed up. And I mean, in preseason, we were... We were knocking ball. We were winning. I don't. I don't think we lost the preseason game last year, and we were looking very good. I mean, I would. I really believe that Afshin prepared us to the best of our abilities to have a good season. But as you know, we got. You know, Caden got injured at the beginning of the year. I uh, hurt my shoulder at the beginning of the year. We we had a couple injuries. We got Rocco got suspended. I mean, it just didn't. Our season didn't start off the best. I believe that we did have great players last year, but I think the the tough start really, really kind of hindered our season because, you know, we weren't the most experienced. We were really, really young. I think we were one of the youngest teams ever in CPL. And I think we just weren't able to get over that hump. And once we brought in some veteran players like Renan and Vasco and Mickey towards the middle of the season, it really um, helped us settle down and, and really come together. And as you saw towards the end of the season, we – we won. Uh, we went on a good run, and so, I mean, hopefully, we can keep our players healthy and really build that, uh, or have that, have those experienced players from the beginning of the season calm us down and uh, just get us through a couple of those rough, rough patches at the beginning of the season, and we'll be good. Before you came to to play properly in the in the CPL as well, you'd you'd gone over to Lebanon, you'd had trials with Ansar over there. How did that? come about i mean obviously you're of lebanese descent and we'll, we'll talk about the national team in a sec but how did that move come about how how did you come on their radar or did, was it you and your agent that kind of reached out to them um so i was working out with uh with uh, a trainer in ottawa his name is antonios and he uh he owns eight mode it's a it's a it's a company and he played in lebanon oh. and so when i when i met him he had told me that he had played in Lebanon and he knows a couple of people there. And this was during COVID. So there wasn't really much going on, but the, uh, the Lebanese league was still running and I was kind of getting tired of just sitting at home and, uh, and really not doing much. 
And so I told myself and uh, I told him as well, if I don't know if something could come about in Lebanon, maybe like uh, just like a trial, just go see how it is down there. I would love to go experience. And thankfully it did happen. And um, yeah, I know my time there was great. It's unfortunate uh, that this country wasn't in the best situation uh, at that time mm-hmm. and that I had to come back. But I mean, it was a great time. I really enjoyed it. Um, obviously it's my, it's, it's, it's my, uh, home country. So I'll always have love for, uh, for that place. And I don't know, hopefully one day I could play a couple of professional seasons over there. Um, yeah, no, it was a great time. I, I really enjoyed it. Ansad was a top club. They really took care of me and uh, I wish them nothing but the best. So when, it, when you were there, is that kind of when you, you got on the radar for the national team? Or is it a case like like in the past, I know in Canada, our coaches have kind of gone through anyone that's got Canadian heritage to see if they wanted to make the switch to play for Canada or, or whatever. But how, how did the, the national team get in touch with you? So when I went to Ansar initially, I had played in uh, in like a in like a preseason tournament and I had uh, I had I had done I had done well and from there I had already um already heard a couple uh a couple agents or, or whatnot. I don't I am not too sure what they were, but they had reached out and told me that if you were to come play in Lebanon, uh in a professional system then like it would be a very good chance that you'd get on the national team. And obviously, um, I was really intrigued into that, but I couldn't really commit to it because I hadn't finished school and this country wasn't in the best situation. So I kind of just decided to come back, do my last year at Carleton. And um, yeah, no. And then so when I decided to do that, um, after my my last year at Carleton, I went to Edmonton. And um, thankfully, I had a great season at Edmonton. And I think they were keeping tabs on me. So um, after my season at Edmonton, they had called me up to my first camp, which was last year, I think in December. We uh, we played against UAE. And um, in my first camp, I think uh, I left a good impression. And so, I mean, ever from there, they kind of just kept keeping tabs and um, kept updating me. And I kept updating them what was going on in my career. And um, thankfully... Uh, they reached out for the Asia Cup, and I mean, it was a it was a great thing for me. Yeah, what what, what was uh, if you could talk about going to the Asian Cup? Um, I I got to be in Doha for the World Cup and and experience all the stadiums there. I'm just wondering what it was like for you going to to Doha and playing in those uh, those beautiful stadiums and the, just the whole experience. Yeah, it was uh, it was surreal, honestly. From from when we landed landed at the airport to um, to just staying at the hotel, to just like our everyday routine, it, it felt like, you know what I mean? It felt like the pinnacle of being a professional athlete or a professional soccer player. And so for me, it was kind of just like, it was something that I, I never thought, I never dreamed of that I would be a part of. And so I really tried to grasp every moment. I mean, as you know, the stadiums are are unbelievable. The training facilities are unbelievable. Um, yeah, I know it was really, it was really something that, that, it has definitely motivated me to get back to and hopefully um hopefully in the couple in the next couple of seasons uh or next couple uh games Lebanon can really because we have world cup qualifiers we can really push ourselves to put ourselves in that position 
um, to go to big tournaments like that again. Where, where, in, where in Doha, where's your hotel? Like, where were you based? Were you up in Lucille or were you? No, we were in, uh, we were near, I, I, I'm not too sure. We were in Doha, but the, the hotel name was Vocal or something like that. Yeah. It was near a city, city gate mall. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I have no idea what either of you are talking about. <laughs> um, I went to the city gate mall once. <laughs> okay. The, I mean, it, it was a, a a good performance by Lebanon. Going into that last game against Tajikistan as well, knowing that if you won, you were going to be going through. You had the lead in that as well. I mean, what you you came on as a sub in that? But what was that that whole game, that whole atmosphere like for you? It was, um, yeah, no, it was unreal. It was I had never really experienced anything like that other than our first game against uh, Qatar. But um, yeah, no, it was. It was unbelievable. I mean, obviously we lost, and still trying to still trying to swallow that. But mm-hmm. um, obviously, I mean, we we really I feel like the fans and and us we were really motivated to go out and win that game, and we started off great. I mean, we got the one 0 lead. We did everything right, and um, unfortunately, the red card kind of yeah. kind of got them back into the game, and uh, they kind of gained momentum as the game went on. They got comfortable and. I feel like um, once they got comfortable, they were really they were really moving the ball well and creating a lot of chances. And um, yeah, no, they did well. I mean, congratulations to them. They, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure they went to the quarters, which is which is great. Yeah, but yeah, there's been a few yeah. surprise results that this year. I mean, like Jordan getting to the the final for yeah. one thing. It's like it feels like there's maybe a little change coming in Asia, like we're seeing in Africa. Yeah, no, I mean. Um, a lot of the countries in in the especially in the Middle East, uh, like Iraq, um, Iraq, Jordan, even uh, Tajikistan. I mean, there's a lot of great, great footballing countries there that are. I feel like they're finally going to start getting their recognition on uh, on bigger stages. I mean, you just saw Iraq beat Japan, I think, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. and Japan is ranked like 15th in the world. And so, I mean, it's a it's a very high level. I mean, it's it's something that I feel like Asia will really uh, like the Asia Cup and the uh, countries in Asia will really put the world on notice in the next couple of years. Did you did you um you know you playing or playing those games? Um, did you what was it like on the field? Because those stadiums are air conditioned, and I know it can be crazy hot outside. But in this, like, there was times in the stands where I was literally like freezing, like. Like freezing cold. I wonder what for you on the at pitch level was it was it uh, hot? Was it warm? Was it did they keep the air conditioning off you? Like how was that for you? Um. Yeah. No. It's. I. Yeah. It was. I'm not gonna lie. It was pretty cold. I mean, you saw half of our team's wearing Under Armour and and mm. Qatar, which <laughs> no, it doesn't really make sense. But uh, yeah. No. I mean, once you step on the pitch, you don't really think about that stuff. But. It was I'm not it, like when I was on the bench and stuff like that. It was cold, which was surprising. I I didn't really think that you know what I mean. You'd be cold on the bench in in Qatar. So yeah, no, it was uh, it was pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I thought Jack was going to ask if he'd gone to a coffee shop that he'd gone to or something there. So I mean, that's fine. At least it was about the weather. I don't I don't think the Conca Cafe was uh, around. <laughs> it was a temporary. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's let's bring you right up to date just to finish this off. So 
2024 season, you're going to be back on the pitch very soon. How excited are you for it? How I mean, there's been some really, really strong additions that this off season. That the clubs definitely they've gone local as well, which excites us. But there's some good experience being added to the team. What are you expecting from the team this season? What are you expecting from yourself this year? Um, every year, you know, I expect uh, me personally. I expect to just play to the best of my abilities, whether and help my team win, whether it's score goals, um, create chances. You know, really help going forward. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, the team's looking, I mean, on paper, we look fantastic. We we made a, we made a I think we signed a center back and uh, David Norman and uh, Paris G, which are, I mean, two fantastic players that have a lot of caps, uh, professional caps throughout um, Europe and uh, the CPL. So, I mean, that's kind of what we needed last year to push us through the beginning of the season and hopefully these signings and um, this quality of players can really uh, help us, you know, push the group forward, whether it's in training, um, off the field. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we're going to come in with uh, an extra, an extra push because of how the season ended last year. And um, I think the guys are very, very motivated. I mean, (laughs) It's a very long off season, so you're not really doing much in the off season. You're just kind of just sitting around waiting for the season to start. So mm-hmm. the guys are really hungry for this uh, for the season to start, and we're ready to uh, to get to work. Yeah, Gabby, uh, I think I asked you this uh, when we were at Brookswood Brewing during uh, one of your injury your injury earlier in the season. You came to hang out with the the fanatics, but um, in an ideal in an ideal world in an ideal scenario obviously Afshin's the coach he makes the decisions uh, not not asking you to question that in any way shape or form but in, where where would you prefer to play and kind of what formation or what setup it would be your ideal like you maybe even just like you're playing EAFC or or you're at the park with all your friends or whatever how how would uh, you set up the te- how would you set up you know Gabby Batar's team and where is Gabby in it um yeah <laughs> I still have trouble answering this question, but um, Zach's and, uh, asked every single player this year the same question, so <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. I think um, well, I'm just gonna go into in a traditional three, four, three, three. Um, I think I would just be a left winger, that would like more of an inverted left winger. That's um, I feel like that's my more natural position because I'm right footed. I like to cut in. I kind of like to drift out, um, to the left. So, yeah, I think I think I would say uh, left wing. Cool. Well, that is it. Thank you for for joining us on the the show today, Gabby. We look forward to to seeing you this season on the pitch. And yeah, good luck. And it, it was it was fun watching you at the Asian Cup as well. We mm-hmm. we all kind of felt heartbroken. We were watching that last game, and we we wanted you to go through so much. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you'll just have to win a trophy with VFC instead. Exactly, exactly. Thank you guys very much for having me. Gabby Batar there, talking all things of Vancouver FC, his career, and what was a, an amazing experience being with Lebanon at the Asian Cup, Zach. And mm. the it, it was a good interview, and... That experience for Gabby, I mean, we, we touched on it there during the interview. He really started to come onto his game as the, the season was coming to a close and mm-hmm. you just 
you wonder how much more he could have pushed on if there was a, an extra month. Not just him, but the, the whole team. I'm interested to see what he does this year and also how he fits in to Afshin's plans with all these other additions. Will we be a regular? Will we be off the bench? Will it be kind of rotational? It's Yeah, it's going to be really interesting with how they built the squad and how Afshin's going to choose to use the players and how often. And yeah, obviously a lot will be based on you know how they actually perform and results and all that kind of stuff. But it, it, let's put it this way: there's a there's a lot more to be excited about going into the second year than the first, in yeah. terms of the the squad and the possibilities. I mean, partly Just, because also in the first year we we so didn't know we didn't know so many players, right? Yeah. But, now the, it's like also with the the local aspect of it as well, you feel a little bit oh, more yeah. affinity to them. At least I I, I certainly do, and I, I know you would no matter where they came from. But yeah, it part. helps for me too, Michael. Yeah, I'm really excited that we're at whatever it is nine or ten now um yeah. it's an easy sell i think marketing for the club as well it's uh it's always a good aspect so we'll we'll see what other ones may be coming who are maybe next interview will be from a vfc perspective but we're, we're going to just wrap this part up with a little bit of cpl chat and a follow-up from our discussion a couple of shows ago on the whole csb media pro thing mm-hmm. Because I, I thought, oh, I've got a little bit of uh, tantalising news to put out there. <laughs> I, I had messaged you on Wednesday when I heard this. Yeah. It's kind of already kind of out there because Victor Montagliani, who I did mention in the last show, I was going to try and get on the show. Haven't even had a chance to reach out to him. It's just been so nuts this week. But we hope to get Vic on the show down the line. But he was on the Footy Prime podcast and kind mm-hmm. also kind of revealed what what I'd heard on Wednesday as well, which I, I don't know all the ins and outs per se, but it sounds like the CPL is going to be back in one soccer this season. It's like they've kissed and made up. To yeah, Maybe I, I, not quite kissed yeah. and made up, but it, it does look like the CPL is going to be back in one soccer. Media Pro, the only part of this I don't know is are Media Pro and CSB, have they put the differences aside? What I've been told, though, is there's a whole different landscape now and a whole different deal. So it might be, and this is pure speculation on this bit, that Media Pro is just going to do the production side mm. and they'll show the games on the channel. But if something has been worked out to save them going to court, well done. Because they looked poles apart. And I know a lot of it was posturing and all media play and stuff. But for, for this to happen, seems crazy. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's hard to comment, right? Because we don't know all the details and we don't know exactly what it means and exactly what it's going to look like. So, you know, down the road, we'll have a, a more fuller conversation about all this. But uh, for me, it's just like the, the media pro uh, approach to responding to csb's lawsuit just smacked of you know the whole like 50 million and you know the yeah you put out a six page or five page document we're, we're ours is you know 30 plus page like it was very much i think darnell said this when we talked to him it was very sort of american right like mm-hmm. we'll just uh we'll we'll drown you and we'll uh you know we'll do the way we respond will make this kind of go be harder for you and and, and whatever and so uh, 
not not no one has said anything to me about it but i was just like yeah i there's no way that they're they're out they would ever win that and um so it's interesting to see uh that yeah i remember when you text me i was just like well okay i glad i haven't i know there's some people cancel subscriptions and stuff right, it's easy, uh, easy to add in thankfully i'm on my five dollar a month in Taylor's. i can just add it in and out as i want which is i think is there's a some really people who literally thing. literally canceled stuff so that might be interesting for them but um well i mean that the announcement could also be as soon as this week so that's true that that's will true. be interesting to keep it i, I think but, i think the the uh, when we talk about what's best for the for the game in canada yeah i think uh and the, and the owners know this you know it, it it needed to be it needs to be on oh yeah on tv and or on tv uh, streamed available in one way shape or form every single match right like if they had been if they had to go to something where it was just like hey there's going to be a match of the week on cbc and that's it you know um even maybe if it was all on youtube even though that would give them maybe better world exposure, like you, you know, you're always talking about the Australian league. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I really think that it needs to be the full season needs to be available somewhere. So, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll talk again soon. I think when we know more and when things are kind of solidified and uh, we have a better picture of what this deal actually is, or what this uh, renegotiation yeah. or whatever it's going to be called actually is. Yeah, and if they've managed to to sort out the differences and find common ground. I, I say well done to both. It's for the good of the game. And it's nice to have a bit of positive Canadian soccer news to talk about because we're going to be talking about some not so positive news in the next part. And we're also going to take you back to 1974. And we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Cal Valentine. You're listening to the AFTN podcast. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we've taken you back to 1974 and the iconic sound of David Bowie. A single released on 15th of February 1974, the lead single from Bowie's Diamond Dogs album, and that's a version of it that you might not be too familiar with. That is actually the original mix of the song, the song that did originally chart 50 years ago this week. 
the the more familiar version that I think people hear in a, a lot of the compilation albums or even in re-releases of Diamond Dogs is a, a remixed US version. But I thought it's apt to play that original version just to tie in with the whole ethos of what we're doing this year on the AFTN Soccer Show. Fantastic single. Became a bit of a glam anthem. The, the whole album, Diamond Dogs, of course, is fantastic. The B-side of the single as well is a, a song from an earlier album, Hunky Dory, and it's one of my favourite David Bowie songs, Queen Bitch. The single reached number five in the UK charts, only got to number 64 in the Billboard Hot 100. It's going to be interesting as well to see if, because we've played a big-name guy like David Bowie, if... That's one of our songs that gets flagged by Spotify. I've spoken before that some of the bigger ones, mainly on our Christmas shows, we've had to have the episodes taken down just on Spotify, not anywhere else, just because of the music used. So we'll see if David Bowie fits into that category. I hope not, because he had a few other amazing songs that were released in 1974 that I hope to play you over the course of the year. Elsewhere this week, music-wise, in 1974, the number one single in the UK was Susie Quattro with a song that we played on last week's show, Divilgate Drive. Barbara Streisand's The Way We Were was the number one in the US Billboard Hot 100. And it was the final week for Terry Jax's four-week run at the top of the charts with his Seasons in the Sun single here in Canada. And if you are new to the show, the reason we are playing songs and talking about 1974, of course, is this is the 50th anniversary season for the Vancouver Whitecaps. And we're covering and documenting the team on a day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month basis on AFTN, on the website, and also on the podcast. And it was a big week in Whitecaps land 50 years ago with a special Valentine's Day surprise for the fans as the first ever Whitecaps head coach was announced. After announcing the team name and their first signed player 10 days earlier, the Whitecaps' next monumental announcement came on February 14th, 1974 after weeks of interviews and worldwide interest the Whitecaps now had their first ever head coach, Jim Easton. The 33-year-old Scotsman had over 300 career appearances as a pro under his belt. He had some managerial experience as well, was player coach with Queen of the South and captain and player coach with Miami Toros in the NASL. He played one season with them in 1973. He was a centre-back who had been capped at under-18 and under-23 level by Scotland. And the fact that he had both managerial and playing experience, and also both of those came in the NASL, ticked a lot of the boxes that Whitecaps Executive Vice President Denny Veach was looking for. Veach said that the Whitecaps had spoken to between 50 and 60 candidates before offering the job to Easton, who he signed to a two-year deal. We feel we have the best available man, Veach told the assembled media that Valentine's Day. We were originally committed to finding a local person for the job, but after talking to several candidates, 
we decided we wanted someone with experience in the league. I would like to stress that at no time did I make an offer to anyone but Jim Easton. We hope that Jim will remain as head coach only with us. We have his playing rights too, but we'd like him to concentrate on coaching duties. If we put together a competitive side, he won't have to play. Well, Easton didn't lace up the boots that inaugural season, but perhaps they could have done with him. They, they kind of needed an experienced stopper of his elk for the, the tough season that was to come. Easton himself was delighted to be in Vancouver and he was looking forward to the challenge ahead, feeling that coming as coach of the Whitecaps was a, a personal step up from being the captain and the assistant down Miami. He said the standard in the NASL is improving every year and we'll need to recruit strongly to be competitive. But he felt the Whitecaps could be just that by mixing both local and international talent. I saw a couple of first division, which was BC Soccer League games, Easton said, and offhand I would say there is sufficient talent here to form the nucleus of a competitive team. Now, Easton's appointment caused a bit of a buzz in the city, with local media delighted that it was an English-speaking coach, after having some issues years before with the legend that was Hungarian Fenek Puskas, he was the Vancouver Royals head coach in 1968, but by all accounts spoke little English and also had little interest in adding Canadian players to the team. So the focus on local talent was already piquing the interest from the local media here in Vancouver. Now, upon his introduction, Easton told media that he wanted the Whitecaps to play aggressive, adding that he would like to think we're going to win every game. Now, Bold, foolish, over the top, what you'd expect, sort of just coming out all guns blazing as a head coach, making your mark in the city. It, it was soon proved to be far from accurate, but I, I admire the cajones and the the ambition to to win every game, but also having an aggressive playing style obviously fits the, the Scottish style probably still nowadays, but definitely back then in, in the 1970s. Denny Veach also had a few more announcements to make that Valentine's Day from an off-the-pitch aspect. He revealed the club's new crest. Now, I told you a couple of shows ago and revealed the original crest that the, the Whitecaps had, which was horrendous. And it was something like a primary school kid could probably come up with. So it then was revealed the new crest, which was the red leaf, red maple leaf, at the centre of a white soccer ball that we kind of know today from that first season and that we're going to see this 50th anniversary season in a black and gold aspect from the, the elite kit design. So, I mean, aside from it being a marked improvement from the horrible first effort that had been released 10 days earlier, the club also kind of had to change it because it was deemed to be too similar to the Vancouver Business Bureau. Season ticket pricing was also revealed, with those in the $5 section of the stadium going for $150, a saving of $50 on the gate prices for the 20 matches, and those in the $3 section going for $90, equally a saving of $50 on the at-the-gate prices. The full schedule for the 20 game season was also announced, which was going to be kicking off on May 5th. 
Now, the following day, February 15th, there was also another important announcement because the Whitecaps had been in a, a little bit of disagreement with the Canadian Soccer Association. I mean, the CSA not doing something that might benefit the game here. I mean, I, I, I was stunned to, to read that this was happening in 1974. But Veach finally came to an agreement with the, the CSA that allowed the Whitecaps to sign players for the NASL on a special amateur card, allowing the players to retain their amateur status so that they could go and play in the Olympics with Team Canada. Of course, the decision rests with the player in the final analysis, Denny Veach said, but the fact that we've been able to obtain permission in such a short time from all levels of Canadian soccer is unparalleled. We're pleased that we can move so quickly to demonstrate our seriousness about signing Canadian players. And the Whitecaps are going to have a look at some of those local and national Canadian talents in an open training session the following week. But we'll cover that in the next episode of the show. But that was this week in Whitecaps land, 1974. I kind of feel exactly when I wrap up the 74 section, I need a snappy song for it. Because when we did the 79 stuff back in 2019, we had oh, the yeah. Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. I did think I'd just re-recording that and going, na, 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 1974. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, we might do that. You but should. Yeah, spoke about the Whitecaps, first ever head coach there, Jim Easton, a name. Very well known in Whitecaps land, known in Canadian soccer, but his son as well has made his big mark in Canadian soccer. Jim Easton Sr. was the, the first Whitecaps head coach, and it was Jim Easton Jr. that played for the Vancouver 86ers and also played a pivotal role in trying to change Canadian soccer for the better. And boy, do we need Canadian soccer to change for the better? Because we're going to talk oh, about the it, well, the latest it, shit show in Canadian soccer in this part. Yeah, so people don't know the Eastern Report. Yeah, it came out in twenty thirteen. Yeah, it was that's why we have the Premier League Canadian yeah. Premier. League. Yeah. And James Easton Junior, of course, was named the head of soccer operations for the Canadian Premier League in 2018, the season before it started. Now, the, the Eastern Report, again, for those that are totally unaware of it, it was a long-awaited report, and James Easton put a, a lot of work into it to, to look how to develop Canadian football, how to get it to grow, what was best for it, and basically what the report said was he recommended that the best course of action is a regionally based series of Division Three leagues governed by a single umbrella organisation. Just like the CHL overseas, the WHL here in the West, the OHL in Ontario and the Quebec in hockey side and has the Memorial Cup tournament. That was Jim Easton's recommendation for soccer at Division Three level. Of course, now, all these years later, we've got that. League One Canada, with Leagues One in Ontario, Quebec, and BC, Alberta coming on board, and a lot more as well. So Easton's vision was that regional Division Three teams would promote, but not be limited to under-23 talent, 
and would try and promote locally bred players from college, regional youth clubs. So everything that was envisaged in that has started. And it started in Ontario. And they had League One Ontario. And something else he was pushing for, that there should be the Canadian Premier League. Mm -hmm. And we've got that. He wanted all the teams that played in the American system to come into the Canadian system. And it took a long time, six years from 2013 to 2019. Mm -hmm. And you started to think, yeah, things, things are going well in Canadian soccer. And then you've got, on the men's side, getting to the first World Cup in 36 years. The women's side winning the Olympic gold, hosting the World Cup in 2015 for the women, hosting the 2007 under 20 World Cup before that and you think football has taken a a big step here when I've been doing my 1974 research there, there was a, a columnist I can't remember if it was in the Sun or the province who was talking about the football coming back to Vancouver after the Royals and saying well it catch the public's imagination it's not really a, a big sport in Canada will it ever be like it is in countries overseas and will it have a foothold in the game here maybe one day and it has now I think you can arguably say that football is definitely one of the biggest participation sports and it has got a foothold on the public consciousness and the media consciousness and the World Cup here in 2026 will go a long way to do that but then every now and again Canadian soccer just seems to lurch from one embarrassing moment one shit show to another, with a few rays of hopes and excitement kind of sprinkled in just to stop you having all the the hope and encouragement sucked out of you. I think I know the ray of hope you're referring to. Mm-hmm. The, oh, maybe you're getting to that later. Well, there's not been a lot of rays of hope this week, I've got to say, but the the, the continued mismanagement of the game here, it's infuriating, it's discouraging, like this week, Canadian women's under-17 team in the CONCACAF Championships failed to qualify for the under-17 World Cup for the first time. Mm-hmm. Partly hindered by there just being two spots this year, but that should not matter, you would feel. No, no. Because they've always qualified, the first time they haven't, at the last World Cup in 2022 in India... They were winless in their group games. They had mustered two draws and they went out at the group stage so they didn't even go through to the knockout. You thought that was bad. And we've constantly talked about other countries overtaking us, especially on the women's side and the gap closing. Now we've got what we feel is a talented group of under-17 players that haven't got to the World Cup. And there's been a lot of finger-pointing, rightly so. Coaching. Emma Humphreys, the right person to be in charge of that team? Should it be younger blood? Obviously, this connection there being the wife of the the national team head coach, Bev Priestman, as well. Now, I, I mean, Emma's I, I a good I haven't, coach, heard any, I haven't heard any negative feelings toward that, have you? I have, actually. Oh, okay. Oh, now, now we're moving in different circles from the Whitecaps chat. But yeah. no, um, I, I've seen a lot of folk criticise the, the coaching choices for, for the team just now. Just because of that relationship, or uh, it's been alluded to by a couple of folk, but just more that it, it's an it needed fresh young blood and ideas. Uh, another 
big finger pointing aspect is the fact that it's all the NDC players and all these talented youth regional youth club players have been kind of frozen out with the national team set up. And you look around the national thing and in Ontario and Quebec and here in BC, they they all three of those teams won their League One championships on the women's side. And here in BC, the Whitecaps were playing 15-year-olds and won it. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's not so much finger-pointing at the NDC, although you should look beyond that. It's what's happening with the rest of the development in the women's game at that level? Why is the funding not going elsewhere? Because if you've got 15-year-olds winning League One championships ahead of players in their late teens, 20, some of the best college talent around, there's something seriously failing with, with the Canadian system here. And of course, a lot of it is money. And a lot of it is, where is that money going? And I've seen a lot of people as well start to be a little bit angry at the demands of the national team players taken mm-hmm. away from the, the youth thing. And this is something we have been consistent with on this show, that you cannot reward the national team players at the detriment to all these other aspects that need funding from the youth players to referees and futsal and everything. It's like this all deserves funding and between the CSB deal and the players' demands and everything else, Canadian soccer is in a perilous state in that regard. Yeah, it it is really, really concerning. Uh, I, I agree with you that, yeah, when we had those conversations, I think both on and off air, when the players are making demands in the middle of their labor situation, or so I should say situations with the CSA and how... Um, they publicly said, "Oh, you know, we we want there to be money for the younger programs." But um, yeah, you look at how this program has kind of de- de- you know gone down this this year, this cycle, whatever, uh, is really discouraging. Now, to me, Michael, it's also kind of related to what we've been saying for a while, right? The other countries are catching up. Canada, we we are not as good as uh, we we should be, or we think that we are. And yeah, I, 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 yeah, I hope I, for the sake of the development of players that the, the right amount of money can be put into the game so that the things that need to have uh, happen will be able to. Yeah, it, it's, it's definitely very badly needed. And there were some fast, fantastic standout performances from the girls. I want to give a big hat tip to Kaylee Hunter, mm-hmm. who was my Whitecaps female player of the year. And she scored a hat-trick in the the third, fourth place game for Canada to finish third and had a really good tournament. So there's a lot of hope coming through, but they need the right environments. Obviously, Project 8 will help, but it needs the funding put in. And tied in with that bit of bad news, it's like a man that we've a lot of time for here at AFTN. I have a lot of respect for Dino Rossi, League One Ontario president. He was a director on the Canada Soccer Board as well, elected to that in May 2023. So many folk were excited by that. So many folk were pushing him to run for presidency. And he told me he he didn't have plans to do that. Sadly, issued a a statement on February the 9th with the just horrible news to read that he was resigning from the board of Canada Soccer with immediate effect. He said, when I put my name forward to run for a seat on the Canada Soccer Board of Directors, I had a lot of ideas 
for what I could contribute to the organisation and the sport. I have been genuinely inspired by CONCACAF's football first ethos, which guides everything the Confederation does from an operations and governance standpoint, and I sincerely wanted that philosophy, philosophy to guide Canada soccer as well. If you know anything about me, you know how passionate I am about Canadian soccer and especially our national teams. The opportunity to serve the CSA and the sport as a director, especially with the World Cup coming, felt like such an exciting opportunity at a pivotal time. But this is the damning bit. Sadly, and for a multitude of reasons, it became apparent that football doesn't come first at Canada Soccer these days. I found it exceedingly difficult to contribute in a manner that I found meaningful, impactful, and in service of the sport and those who play the game. Ultimately, when a situation isn't a good fit, it is better to move on. Now, that's damning, because if anyone knows Dino, and I know yeah. a lot of you might not, he lives and breathes the game. Yeah, totally. He is enthusiastic for it. He's in it for the right reasons. He wants everything good for Canadian soccer at all levels. Now, the, the great side is it frees up more time he says to concentrate on league one which is a passion project for him he got league one ontario off the ground but to lose somebody with his passion his knowledge and his experience from a canadian board of directors that is led by a non-football person and has a lot of other non-football people on it is it's alarming it's disheartening and it, it, it's infuriating that it's got to this point. If we are losing people like him from the top of the game, the game here is absolutely fucked. Yeah, it, it's very discouraging. Um, I, I, I agree with you on uh, basically all of that. I Obviously, I want to know, I want more details on what, what it what he means by... Yeah. I'm sure he will first. speak more. I mean, I, yeah. I'll reach out to... to to Dino this week because we're going to actually we were going to have Dino on the show in January to talk about League One stuff and then he stood down as the League One presidency because yeah. he wanted to focus on the Canada yeah. soccer side of things. Yeah, uh, that that would be helpful to know that I think. But um, yeah, they're obviously they're dealing with a there's a lot of moving parts in in terms of just um, you know big issues. Right, well, I mean, know. you've got him resigning. You've got Jason DeVos moving on. You've got the general secretary not taking up her role. What is going on there that we are not hearing about that is behind all these decisions? And when Dino says football is not coming first, what is? Trying to make the most money out of the World Cup coming? Reading between the lines? Jumps out at you. But if not that, well, what is coming first? And why is soccer not coming first for Canada soccer? Yeah. We, we need more information yeah. to begin. So, I, so many questions. And that's, it, it, that's, a, that's a really big and valid question. It, it, it's just so disheartening. Because it's like, I mean, we, we put our heart and soul into doing the podcast. That's our contribution to the game. You contribute in the supporter side of things. I contribute on the writing side as well, and the media side. We give, we don't make money out of this. We do this like you're dead in your feet just now after a busy week, and <laughs> it's like you're trying to finish this podcast. And it's like there's people give so much time. Dino's done so much stuff he, unpaid. He 
Yeah. And he's not alone. Like other folk has as well. And we're we're losing these people. We're turning these people away just when we need them the most. And I I don't know what the answer is. We we need to have folks sit down and just thrash this out. And we keep talking about we want to do a round table. It's just finding the time to do it. This is now coming to the point we have to. Well, I mean, Dino, it, has, Dino has time now. Yeah. I mean, there's positive things happening. League One's expanding. Here mm. in BC, we've just got our eighth team for this season announced. It's Burnaby FC. Big congratulations to them. Yeah. I gave a little hint last week it would be a good week for the Montaglianis because Victor's brother Mario is involved with Burnaby FC. So that's going to be good. They're going to be playing out of Burnaby Lake. Not... Not the full stadium criteria that League One initially had, but I think that's good. The League as well has dropped the you can't go in with your existing name thing. Thankfully, that is a good thing as well. So Burnie BFC's in at that. I believe it's going to really fully open up next season and there's going to be more announcements of an expansion for BC probably this summer. Interested parties have got till end of March to, to get their applications in for 2025. Have to keep remembering it's 2024. Very difficult. <laughs> so, I mean, th- th- there's that aspect of Canadian soccer that's great. But then it's the level below it that isn't on the youth side. And then there's the pro battles with CPL and broadcasting deals and the national team. We don't even have a men's head coach yet. Ah, it's just a mess. Yeah, there's a lot that needs to get sorted and a bunch of that needs to be done quickly. And there's a lot of, a lot of these decisions need to be like the right slash best decision possible yes. made. Um, so it, it's going to be crucial time for, the, for the, the sport. You, you talked about, um, you talked about, uh, you know, maximizing, you know, profits or money or income because of the world cup yeah there are some people i think who've already left who have gone over to the you know kind of local organizing side of things mm-hmm. um because to be fair michael you know they don't you don't make a lot of money working for the csa right no. aside, like, from the, aside from the volunteers on the board or whatever like the actual people who work there don't they don't make a they don't, they're not making huge money and there's a bunch not of a lot have, of money in in soccer in, in general. Like, I, yeah. I've seen, like, jobs advertised. There was a job in Halifax. It was the head of something, I can't remember what it was, with the Wanderers. 45,000 starting salary. League One GM job that's up. forty-five to 70,000 to run a league. So it's like, there's not big, big money in the game. So the people that are doing it, they're doing it out of a passion. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens there. I don't want to end on a sour note. So let's wrap things up for the show with this episode's wavelength and I've gone back to a song from the late 90s early 2000s couldn't remember the exact date for this and it's a song we've played in part on the show before I might even have played it in full way way back in the day before we had our our wavelength section because it's written by really good friend of mine Danny Holland known Danny since the late 80s early 90s he was in a Low number of local bands in Fife, talented solo artist as well. And this was a, a song he had from his Pedias and Dictionaries album, football related song, simply called Accrington Stanley. <laughs> Accrington Stanley. 
We're gonna be shifting the goalposts soon, now you're here until the whistle blows We'll be replacing the ball with a top-notch tune, yeah you're here until the whistle blows But hold on until we change the stadium around, it's a bit too much like your Uncle Norm Oh and the ravenous alligators parading the ground, they haven't eaten since the day they were born oh. Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah Now it's a corner kick to the opposite side Onto a certainty that's a thousand miles wide oh. Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah Yeah, yeah We've got a few ciggies on 99.2 to us, the happy underdogs So if you're a friend, we'll buy a mansion for you, yeah And a hanger full of brand new dogs We really mean it, man Yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, now it's an indirect free kick to the boys They keep us self-destructive because of the noise The energy smashes the tune through the right-hand side Back of the net and onto the rest of us flight Yeah, yeah, it's not over yet, we're feeling alright Yeah, yeah, it's not over yet, we're feeling alright Yeah, yeah, it's not over yet, we're feeling alright Yeah, yeah, it's not over yet, we're feeling alright yeah, yeah. Danny Hollander, Accrington Stanley. Who are they? So <laughs> one for the one for the oldies. It was a, a milk marketing board ad. We back in the seventies or eighties. You learn things on this show. For real. Yeah. What What have you learned this week, Zach? What's your final thoughts and goodbyes before we wrap things up? Uh, I just, uh, well, like commiserations to uh, you and Eric Astley. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. The, the superb owl was not so superb in the end. Yeah. Uh, I was genuinely gutted. Like, oh, during overtime, I thought I was going to puke and I had a, my chest was tight. I was like so nervous. Oh, no. Yeah, the, oh, no. the Niners, they fucked that up. They should have won that. But Yeah. Yeah, that was sad. Uh, so I feel bad for you. Uh, to anyone who um, took my advice last week and went onto the zone yesterday and watched, uh, yeah, I was the, following that. And the, the Bundesliga match of the week, and you know the potential title decider in the Bundesliga, uh, you got to see. You have my condolences. <laughs> yeah, you got. Well, no, you got to see why Thomas Tuchel should not not be coached at Bayern Munich, and if you see him. Um, moving in the direction of coming to coach your favorite club, <laughs> tell them to run because yeah, he, he, he it's disgraceful what he's done and what they've allowed him to do. And if this keeps playing out, it's it's not it, it's not uh, it's not holistically the, the the lack of titles and the lack of winning because um, his record isn't horrible horrible uh, to the, on the title front. It is um it's not and i'm not a person michael is like oh this is the it's the the curse of of uh what's his face or the englishman harry kane oh, oh. It's the curse of harry <laughs> oh, kane. yeah he can't win a trophy yeah i it's not it's none of that man it's the, this yeah thomas tuchel is known as uh he's he's not a bad tactician he whatever you know he there's lots of good things about him as a as a, as a football manager in general the problem is he doesn't deal with people well and in particular he at Bayern he's he's gone out of his way to 
um, essentially like take on the leadership within the playing structure and, and, and kind of gone to battle with all or most of them. Oh, really? And so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been really, that's not been, a good thing to do. No, it's been really bad. And, but, but not, not just the old heads either, Michael, he, he, he came in and has decided that, uh, 70 million pound center back, Matthias De Litt from Holland, uh, is not competent enough to play in his system and has played other players ahead of him. And I mean, even in this game against Leverkusen, he sat on the bench while Eric Dyer played. And Eric Dyer, sure, put in a couple Left of really up to good... his name. <laughs> well, he did, yeah, he did. A, he had a couple of good performances for Bayern, but he is not the player that, that, uh, he is not the player that, uh, that Matthias De Litt is, in, in my opinion, in multiple ways. Anyways, um, it was, but it was, it was a, if you follow the Bundesliga, it was a really interesting game because both coaches really tried things and, and Tuchel got a lot of things wrong, but, it was interesting to, and there were part of it was injury based, but it was interesting to see Xavi Alonso play with what I, I essentially thought was playing at Verts as a false nine, which I think really made Byron having a back three, a back five kind of pointless in the middle. Um, and yet they were also able to expose it. So it, it was, it was really interesting. And yeah, I mean, the, the scoreline was a little bit flattering because there was like a, a classic uh, ice hockey empty net goal at the end. Oh, as Byron was going for it, but um, but no, no one punched the guy after scoring. No, no, none of that. Um, but this no, is I, the most awake you've been in the whole podcast. Because yeah, Byron. I'm sorry, I, my, my blood boils <laughs> talking about Thomas Tuchel. Like it's right. Well, he, here's a serious question for you, Jurgen Klopp. Yeah, I don't. A possibility. I don't, He's like with the German job as well. I don't think so because I think kind of like in Liverpool where he said, "Yeah, I'm not going to coach another English team." Oh, I, I right. think I think because of his what he's done at Mainz and Dortmund, yeah. I don't think he'll, he'd go to Bayern. I would. I'd be very happy for Jurgen Klopp on you know multiple levels, uh, and I would also be very happy for Jurgen Klopp to take over the national team. Uh, in terms of Bayern, yeah, I'd be happy with someone like I would be happy with Xavi Alonso, one of our former players, if mm -hmm. he wanted to. Uh, you know, make his uh, his next home uh, our, our club. The other problem with Tuchel is he's is he's making all these changes with the, with the roster and who like there's players players like Delit is talking about wanting to leave. Uh, We've got Joshua Fonzie Kimmich, rumors as well. Joshua Kimmich is wanting to leave. The Fonzie isn't related to, to no, Tuchel. but it's like that like, could play into no, it because he's like I don't oh, want to yeah. hang around this. No, that's bad. Yeah, it doesn't help. But um. So the, it's like the whole side is going to be dismantled, and the dude, the dude has one more year on his contract, and it's like he's not a guy who sticks around long. And I don't think we'll bring him back. And so, but they're letting him kind of dismantle the team, and he's probably not even going to be here for the long term. It's very you, you know what you need to do. Hashtag Dickin. Yeah, there you go. What works for us works for you. Anyway, sorry. Thank you for letting me. No, um, it's good. That, it, it's it nice, really, nice of you to wake up. It, no, it really, it really, yeah. I, I've been meaning to tweet about it because um, I don't tweet a lot, but I wanted to tweet about that, but I've been so busy with work that I haven't had time. But well, it's it, good to get that off your chest. Yeah, yeah, that must be really frustrating. And, and, oh, oh, I want to give another shout-out to, uh, we did it last week. The result was not in his favor, but shout-out to Ian McHugh and his vertebrae inside. They were celebrating their 
uh, 100th, oh, sorry, 125th anniversary of Werder Bremen. They're one year older than Bayern. And uh, they had special jerseys. And uh, they did the thing in the stadium where, like, everyone was wearing the, um, uh, like, the colored uh, rain ponchos. And so the whole ah. stadium was, like, blocks of red and, or, sorry, red, uh, green and white. And they ended up losing to, you know, this upstart Heidenheim team who's going to survive uh, after, you know, their first season in the Bundesliga, they're going to survive. But uh, I just want to give a shout out to them because it was uh, a big day for them. It didn't play out the, the way they wanted to. But um, yeah, shout out to people like Ian who are our Werder Bremen fans. That was this week in German football with Zachary Adam. Yeah, it needs to be a segment. <laughs> it could do that. If folk are interested, actually, let us know. Always looking to branch out. And once we do these two-hour daily shows that we're talking about, then yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like we have definitely got time for that. Yeah. Would folk listen? Ah, maybe. Some would. Anyway, we will wrap this up. I just wanted to give some thanks as well. Thank you to whether you've been with us from episode one, whether you're just a first-time listener on episode 600, whether you've joined along the way, thank you for listening to all of our nonsense. Over the, the last 11 years, we are the longest-running English-language podcast in Canada. I did find there's a French-language one that's a couple of months older than us, which is annoying. Can FC, so kudos to them as well for, for still going. But we are the longest-running English-language one. It's been a lot of fun. 600 episodes down. Definitely want to do this until our, at least the, the World Cup. Part of me wants to just do it till we get to a thousand or nine hundred ninety nine, and then just stop it. You want to stop at a thousand? Maybe I don't know. I'm getting old. I'm looking at retirement, man. I I'll still want to do this. I'll be in my eighties. Yeah, so thank you to everyone that, that that's been with us along the way. Thanks to all the subscribers on the extra podcast as well, which you can jump on thirty dollars a month, three dollars. No, I always do this. $30 a year or $3 a month. Or if you want to give us $30 a month, we're happy yeah. for that as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, the more the merrier. So thank you for that as well. And I was on a, a podcast that's on YouTube, if you want to check it out, the Designated oh, yeah. Players podcast, Probably. just chatting about uh, all things Whitecaps. I've speaking to someone from all the teams, so that's a big task that the, the guys have brought on, so check that out as well. But yeah, just hope you've enjoyed this thanks to vanny for jumping on and also to gabby batar we will be back with another episode soon until then thanks for listening take care and mon the caps going to your first match is an experience you never forget the atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. <laughs>